Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to witness some scenes from the next podcast to play your device. This program, truly one of the most unusual ever recorded, contains scenes with under no circumstances should be listened to by anyone with a heart condition or, or anyone who is easily upset. We urgently recommend that if you are such a person or a parent of a young or impressionable child now in attendance, that you and the child leave the room for the next two hours. Attention planet Earth and beyond. Stay tuned for Attack of the Killer Podcast. 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 Hello. Welcome to another episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. I am your host, Insane Mike. Hi, Mike. Hi. Hi. And this episode, it, it, it's it's kind of sad. sad. We yeah. really re- recently lost another great master of horror, the godfather of gore, Herschel Gordon Lewis. The Hirsch. Yes. So... Hopefully we can make this a celebration of his body of work and not all just be all bummed out the whole episode. But So we're going to talk about Herschel Gordon Lewis on this episode of Attack of the Killer Podcast. But first, it's time to introduce you to the podcast crew. First off, our very own Gorgor girl, Terry Turford. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie, so I don't know what that means. Oh. That's probably, probably good. It's going to be a fun episode. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, what's the matter? Does Fod Ramsey have your tongue? Jason Bollinger. Hey, everybody. How's it going? You can't answer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when he hears the name... No- oh, my God, I can't talk to him. When he hears the name Montag, he thinks of the Wizard of Gore before dishwashers. John Stalter, everybody. <laughs> Hi, everyone. And lastly, he wears a wig made from scalped college girls, Brian Clark. Good evening. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into anything of this episode, I want to turn it over to Brian. You ha- we recorded our bonus episode earlier, and there's a point that you wanted to make. That you didn't get, you didn't get a chance to. So, the floor is open. Yeah, how dare you say the 1890s were the worst decade for horror? <laughs> Dracula, <laughs> Dracula was published in 1897. And if y'all want to know what the hell the rest of that conversation is about, donate to our Patreon campaign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell them, Brian. Exactly. Mm. <laughs> what the fuck are we talking about? Is what I would be thinking. Exactly, and the only donate. way to find out is to donate. So you could be in on it. And I'm stalling for killer news. What? Because I'm trying to find it. Okay. So Terry, <clears throat> take it away. So, <laughs> that's what I should do, right? Always. Okay, so we got some killer news. So it's time now for killer news. Now it's time for. Okay, where do we start? I think there, I feel like there's a lot to talk about. 
Um, I'm not going to go in order based on this because I want to get the get this one uh, out of the way right now. But um, somebody, one of you guys, brought up about um, the uh, remake to Suspiria. Ugh. And did you? But did you see who just signed on? Yeah, and so I mean, I'm still gonna, I'm still willing to see it, but. Uh. Well, we all know it's not. It's not going to be anywhere near Argento. Well, yeah. Well, and, and I say, and I say that as good or bad. I'm not saying. Oh, it's just it's not going to be no no American modern filmmaker is going, or 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 financial backer is going to allow somebody to make what Argento did. Well, yeah. Challenge accepted. Well, okay. So I mean, I do sound frustrated that it's happening, and I am, but. As I told Dustin over the weekend when him and I were talking about the new Ghostbusters movie, I'm like, you know what? I get mad when they may remake my you know favorite movies or you know, reboot them or whatever, but I'm still willing to watch them, and sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised. I mean, Maniac is one of my favorite yeah. movies of all time, and actually the remake is now one of my favorite movies of all time. It is so good. So who knows? I mean, the cast so far... Uh, if they continue on with the cast for Suspiria, I think it's a great cast. I'm just extremely leery, but I will watch it. I'm not going to go, no, it's going to suck, and I'll never touch it. It can't be good if you don't give it a chance. Exactly. Right? True. And and I also look at it from the other side of things, too, for those out there that do hold on to the original films and are butthurt about remakes. Bearing in mind, talking about Ghostbusters, I've... I see a shit ton more Ghostbuster merchandise based off of the original movie nowadays than I ever did before they even even ever talked about doing this remake. Mm-hmm. So suck it, you know? <laughs> I mean, you know? Oh, yeah, half of the film going audience is going to be like Suspiria, what's this? Oh, it's a remake. I'm going back. I can cuz I can walk into Walmart right now and buy Ghostbusters merchandise based off of the original yeah, movie. Yeah, which is awesome. You never would have seen that ten years ago. No, you never would have seen that when Ghostbusters was out. <laughs> like, and not in the toy, not in the toy department. It took the real Ghostbusters cartoon before you saw the toys. Yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah, and you know, My Bloody Valentine is another great example of that too. If it wasn't for the remake of My Bloody Valentine, which I love, oh yeah, we we never would have gotten the um, unedited version of the original. Yeah, true. And and thank God we did. You know, it's like how long is those. Missing gore scenes been sitting on a shelf somewhere. Yeah. So, so those who are very anti remake and think it ruins your childhood, it only embraces your childhood and can only make it better. Well, and I mean, yeah, a lot of our beloved movies are remakes themselves. So, that's it's true right, too. The thing. Exactly. But uh, as a wise man once said, you'll always have the original. True. Yeah. You always have. You can't take that away. A remake isn't going to ruin your freaking childhood, or you know, ruin your view of the original movie. No, and the thing is, it's like, and you mentioned um, Maniac, and that's how I'm seeing what's going to happen with Suspiria. It's not going to be. It's not going to be Argento's film. You know, because because he already made it once. Yeah. So it's going to have you know a different style to it, different look. Who knows what. You know, just like with Maniac, they went with that whole perspective uh, view and, you know, the the basic groundworks are the same, but it is a completely different movie. So and the Suspiria remake is going to 
I mean, it, it has to take that tack to be successful. If it tried to just, you know, do the Gus Van Zant psycho thing, uh. that, that would be the absolute kiss of death because it will not sound like Goblin no matter how hard you try. It will not look like Argento's color palette no matter how hard you try. So yeah. the only way to make it not be a complete piece of shit is to do something different with it. And that was, and I think that's... I, and you I can't just, tell... The, oh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, and you can't tell the story the exactly the same either, no. because it's that thing about those uh, Italian films... They don't always make 100% sense. I don't know you what know? you're talking about. <laughs> Those things so, are just like reading a, a good book. But that's know. on so purpose. They they were never meant yeah. to make sense. They made them weird on purpose because their their philosophy was horror movies are nightmares, so they should feel like you're watching a dream. Well, yeah, it's like so a, yeah, a dream or a fever dream kind of thing, you know, yeah. just what the fuck. Yeah. So, but my point is, is so telling that same story uh, word for word, page for page, um, in a modern American audience, it's not going to work. So I have. I was just going to say that I think that's a lot of people's problems with remakes is that you know the ones that don't do something original, but then you got the people like the all the whiners <laughs> complaining about Ghostbusters. Their problem is that it's not going to be exactly like the original. But to me, if you're going to do a remake, I have no problem with that. As long as you bring something new to the table. If you have something new to say about the material, great, say it. I want to see what you got. But if you're just going to you know, slap something together that kind of looks like what people know and stick the title on it and throw it out there to make some money, well, yeah. fuck you. I don't want to see your shitty movie. <laughs> <laughs> Totally. And, you know, we may get into uh, the topic of remakes uh, throughout this episode. So, so yeah, so there's that. Oh, and I guess it didn't really, it never really was said out loud on who joined the cast. Um, mostly because I can never say her name right, so I just always refer to her as Hit Girl. Chloe Mertz. Thank you. <laughs> that too one. Hard. Yep. She's got three <laughs> names, so he had just Anything more than three names, no, forget about it. That's, you know... Okay, you Saunders. That's why John Cougar <laughs> Mellencamp dropped the Mellencamp. It's because it's I protested. Yeah. All right, what else do we have to talk about with Killer News? Was he asking uh, or know. telling? What? Was he asking or telling? I'm asking. Who oh. wants to... There's, there's something over the... It's a long list. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a little event called Halloween of Palooza just happened. Yeah, ran into some cuties there. Thank you. Thanks. I was talking about Brian, but oh, whatever. Oh. You're so sweet. <laughs> so we were all either working it or attending it. Um, let's find out the thoughts from the attendees. What did you guys think of uh, Halloween of Palooza? It was awesome. We had a great time. My kids are still talking about it. Like, they can't wait to go back next year. It was really oh, awesome. a blast. Yay. Cool. It was Brian's first year. It was yeah. John's second yeah. year. Honestly, well, so I didn't even know about it before I met all of you hooligans, so. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. Uh, any favorite parts? Uh, the trivia. You like? The trivia was a blast. <laughs> Even though you totally you got most. <laughs> That's Jason. Uh, 
some of those titles, your your children was name dropping during the trivia. <laughs> Little concern. The, <laughs> the, the look I got from Justin when Isabella called out Castle Freak when you did the keyword thing, and it was <laughs> nudity. That was awesome. Oh man, I wish I would have been there for that. Uh, it was awesome. What's What's great is like there was like five teams. Each team had like three to four. I think there was even one team that had five. And in Brian's team, it was just him and his two children. And they were smoking everyone else. They were kicking everybody's asses. Ten and eleven years old. <laughs> that you should be proud, sir. Raising them right. Well, and somebody made some comment, something about cut them some slack. It's just him and two kids, or something. Like, you know, give them a handicap. I forget exactly what they said, but some comment of like, take pity on the guy who's just him and his two little kids. And then... Yeah, that's not a good idea. <laughs> little did they know. That had to have been right before, right when we started. Cause <laughs> Honestly, yeah, it was right at the beginning. Yeah. Phoenix and Isabella probably could have been a team on, the, a team on their own. <laughs> like, they're no dummies. They know their shit. <laughs> it was very awesome. Very awesome. The zombie one. John- oh, go ahead. Oh no! Please do. Please, I was just gonna say go. the zombie walk was a lot of fun too, even though I I misunderstood what it was going to be, and we were totally unprepared. So our makeup was <laughs> washable Crayola marker, <laughs> <laughs> and, and even so, Isabella won uh, uh, third place for the uh, the kids uh, zombies just because of the conviction of her performance as a zombie. <laughs> the guy running the zombie she, she, walk. Said that uh, your daughter was freaking him out. <laughs> yeah, he walked in and I'm like, "How'd it go?" And he's like, "Dude, it was cool, but the coolest thing is there was this little girl and she was fucking scared the shit out of me and she just <laughs> wouldn't break character at all. And it was fucking amazing and it was scary. You know, I, I she didn't have great makeups, but she kicked so much ass. I give her third place, and I'm just like, "Oh, that's." But that sounds awesome. And then five minutes later, Izzy walks up, and I'm like, yep. All <laughs> <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he, was, he just loved it. See, I, I, for some reason, took it to be a sort of like a survival game. Like, we would walk around, and people dressed like zombies were going to come after us, and you had to, like, kind of yeah. evade them sort of thing. So then we find, like, oh, no, you're the zombies, and you walk around in makeup. We're like, shit, I don't have any makeup. And Isabella goes, well, I still want to do it. I have markers in the car. Can we just go back and get those? And I'm like, eh, sure, why not? <laughs> Marker up your face, child. <laughs> no. oh, we could have hooked you up with some makeup. You should have just told me. I could have found some makeup for you. <clears throat> awesome. John, what about you? What did you think of Halloween Palooza this year? Good, good. I always like cool. seeing Brian's ass. I mean, Brian. Uh, no, it was a good time. I always like seeing uh, all the homemade crafts and... And stuff like that, and of course, then the just the artists that are there. I don't know; it's always a good time. Of course, the movies, which I didn't watch, <laughs> and the no, uh, Q and A sessions that I didn't go oh, to. Nice. Oh, damn! I went to one Q and A session. Ah, uh, what? Um, did you get anything cool? Uh, I bought a whole bunch of VHS from uh, Justin, <laughs> so I pretty much drove two hours to buy movies from a guy that I could have driven 10 minutes to <laughs> saved a fuckload more money. That's a good point. He would have charged you more. Exactly. Because he's a dick. Yeah. So if you're, if you're listening, Justin, fuck you. 
<laughs> I mean, I love you, buddy. So I, t- I talked him down, and his- how much was he charging for those VHSs? Like two bucks. Yeah, I talked him down because he was he wanted to go for five, and he just kept asking me. It's like you think that's a good price? You think that's a good price? And I like, told him no. like, yeah, maybe if you were somewhere, maybe if you were somewhere at a bigger convention where there are actually VHS collectors walking around, but you're in Ottawa, Iowa, so I probably would go maybe cut that in half. So really, it's just going to be me and John buying your movies. So uh, make it cheap for us. <laughs> well, then he had some that he had hidden behind the table, and he pulled them out. I don't even remember which ones they were. And he's like, "Make me an offer." I'm like, "God damn it, dude! Don't ask me that." <laughs> I don't want to say too much because then you'll be like, "Yeah, I want that." But if I go too low, you'll yeah. feel insulted. Nah, he wouldn't be insulted. And those are my fault too because he asked me, "He's like, which one of these is actually worth some money?" So I'm like, "Well, you know, anything by Paragon's gonna get you some good money." And Anything, you know, any of, like, the uh, older clamshells or big boxes. Yeah. Okay, so now, people that worked Halloween Apalooza, your thoughts, Jason? Terry? (laughs) What? Uh, I thought it was great. Yeah, me too. (laughs) I had fun. Good turnout, better turnout than we've ever had before, and that was awesome. Yeah, definitely. Really positive yeah. attitude. I, you know, not really any big hiccups and just a fun time. Cool. All night long. <laughs> Jason, anything you want to add? Well, like when people ask me, I I have the uh, cheesy answer, but it's the true one. Is that it? My favorite part was just getting to hang out with all my friends. In a place, in an environment, based around the things that me and my friends love. And that's really the best part. Yeah. Yeah. We go a long way. It was just a party when we started, and now it's a lot of work for just a party. (laughs) Why? I really feel like it it pays off, though. I mean, the comments I've had since since Saturday has been... Unbelievable. So, only growing. Guess. Yep, keeps growing. Uh, what are we gonna do next year for it? <laughs> Live AOTKP episode. That would be. I've been wanting to do that forever. <laughs> yes. A lot of a lot of podcasts do that at conventions. There are a couple of them that do uh, live episodes at G Fest every year. So we should totally do that. That would be way cool. See. Yep. And, they're, and right. they're, they tend to be some of the more, especially the, uh, specifically the Kaiju cast one, because they're a little bigger and more well-known. They're just some of the better attended uh, panels, too, So other than the, the oh. guest Q&As. So, yeah, I think that would probably be a pretty popular thing, I think. Yeah, lots of guests that can pop on for a <clears> minute <throat> and say stuff. And, yeah. Yep. Drag the Midnight Mausoleum girls on stage for a little bit. Um Jill in there, Justin, some of the filmmakers that have films in. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. So, cool. Yeah, that may be an idea for next year. Next, um, New Ash versus Evil Dead. Woo! Uh, yeah. Woot woot. That, that was awesome. 
Could have used a little more blood. <laughs> where? I'm not sure where. <laughs> the closing credits? <laughs> no, it had it too. I I got distracted by Luke Cage, so I haven't seen it yet. So. Wiener. <laughs> oh, I started watching that um, the other night too. So far, so good. I'm only like two episodes in. But no, yeah, yeah, new new season so far is going strong. I don't like Lucy Lawless's pink hair. What the hell's up with that? Uh-huh. <laughs> or that? Um, it's is just, it still supposed just to be funny. like ruby red, or I don't know. We'll probably know. find out. It's still the first episode. That's true. But it was a hell of a good first episode. Yeah. Yeah. So funny. Yeah. Gosh dang it. Ash is so funny in the show. <laughs> Nuts. Yeah. It's good. Watch good. it. Check it out. For shizzle. Did we have, did we have anything else? Oh, yeah, that uh, trailer for Get Out. Yes. Get out. That, where'd that come from? Jordan Peele. That's where it came from. Yeah. Keep I knew Peele. he was... Yeah. I knew he was making a horror movie, but I didn't realize that they had come this far along yeah it definitely exceeds my expectations well and i guess i mean i just assumed knowing that he was involved that it would be more comedic but it does yeah. not look funny oh, at all. oh my god i don't think there's a single joke anywhere in this oh film oh my gosh it i could look like it might be a little more light-hearted in the beginning before yeah the yeah span, but... but it's kind of got this Oh, uh, I don't know if I want to say Stepford's wife, Stepford wives kind of feel at times, but yeah, there's Oh, that's totally the impression I got. There's yeah. something going on underneath and Bradley Whitford. Yeah. So Bradley. and and Catherine uh, Kenner or whatever her name is, both awesome actors. Well, and it has um it looks like the lead guy is he was in Black Mirror. Like he was the bicycle episode or whatever. Where they have to. Oh, really? Yeah, he's like the. Is that? Yeah, it's the same guy. I did not realize that. Yeah. I thought it looks awesome. Oh, it looks. It's another Blumhouse movie. It looks pretty. Yeah. Yeah. It looks looks amazing. It's pretty good. I like the shot where the deer head turns into a. You know, skeleton and comes after him. That was pretty freaky. There's just a lot of creepy imagery in this. Oh yeah! Like, oh, they pack in a lot in that trailer, and I think we're still not seeing everything. Like, at least I yeah, hope no that's doubt. the case. Because sometimes, you know, even in an early trailer, because this doesn't come out till February, sometimes they show you all the good shit. But I think, I think we're going to be in for a real treat with this film. Absolutely, I agree. When's it come out? Some, I think, just they said February. I don't know if they gave an actual date. Yeah, just sometime February. All right, cool. Um, so yeah, so that's all I have for killer news. Unless anybody else had anything. Uh, tis the season for uh, horror movie sales. So if you're interested in shopping, mm-hmm. there's all sorts of check out online. I think Vinegar Syndrome's yeah. got something coming up. Deepdiscount.com's got a good one going on right now. Um, and I think uh, Scream Factory is doing yep. like a Shock- new title each day. Shocktober, yeah. Yep. Sweet. 
free shipping and little extra goodies and all kinds of stuff. So awesome. Yep. All right. So let's get into our topic at hand, and that is the the films of Herschel Gordon Lewis. Oh, may he rest in peace. We lost. Yeah. We it lost a is. great. <laughs> we lost a great innovator. I mean, we did, and I really feel like he's like was like the final one out of a bygone era, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, the whole showmanship, sideshow, driving theater mentality. Totally. And yeah. it's not, I mean, he had a good run. He, <clears throat> it's not like he died too young. And, no. And it's not but, like he was still making movies, so we weren't, you know, deprived of great future things. But it's still, it's, yeah. it's more like the spirit of the drive-in has gotten a little dimmer. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so um, and really looking at his body of work, uh, and considering how his career has or his um, his films have stood the test of time for decades, uh, he only worked. He only made movies for like eleven years, but he did like close to thirty fucking movies <laughs> in those eleven years. There was one. I can't remember what year it was, but there was one year he made nine movies. I mean, that's giving Corman a run for his money. Yeah, no kidding. That may have been, I think, that was maybe 68 or 67. Well, he did five, five and 68. And he did one, two, three, four, five, six and 67. He did a lot. Well, one, two, three. <clears throat> okay, he just did a lot each year. <laughs> Went to the bathroom, crapped out five movies. Pretty much. <clears throat> Um, some might say that um, it's not too far from the content of the movies too, but you know, but yeah. <laughs> as 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 much as we're gonna gush, especially uh, myself, uh, Brian, and John are gonna gush about Herschel Gordon Lewis, I'm not delusional in the fact that he was not a very skilled filmmaker no. by any stretch of the imagination. But that's not why people love him. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, if Jason I'm, and Terry want to take a nap or anything, I mean, we'll totally <laughs> understand. <laughs> What's that? Huh? <laughs> I'm sorry, you guys were talking about H.G. Lewis. What now? Huh? Too late. Um, yeah, but he, as far as being a pioneer goes, he was like the first. He invented the gore movie, basically. So that will never be taken away from him. You know, people can say what they want about the quality of the films, but he did that. He did that shit first. So. Uh, his filmmaking career started in like 61 where him and uh, Dave Freeman decided they wanted to get into the motion picture biz and they started off with like you know nudie exploitation films nudie cuties and stuff like that their first film The Adventures of Lucky Pierre or Lucky Pierre have you guys seen that one? I have not no I've seen probably enough <laughs> yeah, you know, but uh, based on like um, uh, clips that they've shown in like the uh, Godfather Gore documentary, yeah. But Those... I mean, it looks like it's a fun little '60s, you know, TNA comedy. Yeah. Those nudie cuties are really hard to sit through. <laughs> oh yeah, not nearly as bad as the the nudie camp films though. Those are really <laughs> painful. Yeah, yeah. 
and then uh, and I won't we won't spend a ton of time on like a lot of these like non horror film ones. But after that same year, he did Living Venus. In '62, he did Nature's Playmates, Daughter of the Sun, which Daughter of the Sun is one of those summer camp picks, and it's probably the closest one to having an actual story. And I think Daughter of the Sun has, um, I think that's the one that has Fu, the guy who played Fuan Ramsey from Blood Feast. I think that was his feature film debut, I guess you could say, as one of the nudist camp members. Um, then there was Scum of the Earth in 63. And I can't remember, is Scum of the Earth um, the one that was like, uh, Harvey Corman's one of Harvey Corman's first films. Maybe there was a Herschel Gordon Lewis movie from this era that was like Harvey one of Harvey Corman's first movies ever. And I think that's and that's the thing too. If you like compare Herschel Gordon Lewis's films to like Harry Novak or um, uh, Doris Wishman or any of those others, uh, even Russ Myers, to be honest with you. There are far more "quote unquote" famous people that have been in Herschel Gordon Lewis movies um, that have either sprung from Herschel Gordon Lewis movies or were already well known and happened to appear in a Herschel Gordon Lewis movie, like Colonel Sanders. His only only time he's ever been in a movie was a Herschel Gordon Lewis movie. Uh, Henny Youngman was in Gore Gore Girls, even though he denies he was in it, but it's blatantly him when you watch the movie. So I find that interesting as well. Uh, but So after Scum of the Earth in 63, he did another one in 63. Two more in 60. No, wait. Shit ton more in 63. Hold on. So there's Goldilocks and the Three Bears. B-A-R-E-S. Um, Boeing. Yeah, it's, and... it's the Beavis and Butthead sound <laughs> effect is the title of a movie. Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, uh, was it, what's the name of that? I wrote I wrote it and I can't read my own writing. Spell bear and beautiful. Thank you. It's called IMDb. Just pull it up. <laughs> so I take that extra effort, John, and I write this shit down. <laughs> um, and then ending 1963 with Blood Feast. Now we'll come back to Blood Feast real quick, but I just want to throw it out there. Have you guys seen any of those earlier films before um, Blood Feast? Not a one, other than yeah. clips. Yeah, I've okay. never seen anything. Okay. Yeah, I think, I, I think I've seen bits and pieces of most of those, except for maybe Goldilocks and the Three Bears. But, um, I've, yeah, Living Venus, I know I've seen some stuff from. There was a, there's a tape, a VHS tape that I have. Um, oh, God damn it. I forget the name of it now. It's a, it's basically a, uh, it's basically like a montage clip tape that just shows clips, but it's all like B movie drive-in clips. So it's got a lot of Herschel Gordon Lewis in it. So it's got, and it actually has a lot of scenes from like Living Venus and Scum of the Earth, in particular. Not, but not to mention all of his gore films as well. But those were my early exposure to to some of those movies. That's like our version of those uh, Yule log loop tapes that you see around Christmas time that you can buy to put on in the background for ambiance when you have your family over for dinner. They have those. We have H.G. Lewis clip reels. Fuck that's, yes. That's, 
That's that's a great point. That's a great point. Madron's preview some hell is totally our Yule, Yule log <laughs> tape. Absolutely. Sit around, Grandma. Lo- let's watch this for a bit. <laughs> um, it's going to kill me until I remember the name of it, though, because the other cool thing about this particular tape that I'm talking about is like the is the acting debut of Steve Buscemi. <laughs> As as like the uh, the kind of the wraparound host, one of the wraparound oh. host characters. You know what that I'm talking about. Fa- now. I don't know yeah. if I've seen it, but I I think I've seen it referenced. I might also be thinking of something else because there's you know all sorts of weird videos like that. True, true. Okay, so then 1963 was Blood Feast. Um, that's when him and Dave Freeman decided what can they do. Uh, to kind of kind of do the movies that uh, the studios won't do because they obviously knew they couldn't compete with studio films. They didn't have the the money or the technology or even really the talent to compete with with Hollywood films. So they're they were exploitation filmmakers. So they were out to make movies that um, that the mainstream people would the mainstream uh, Hollywood wouldn't do and they like Herschel Gordon Lewis has said that he wrote a list of what what the mainstream filmmakers won't do and one of those was was gore and then that's where both it clicked with both him and David Freeman to do Blood Feast so uh, what do you have to say about Blood Feast there John um that one I haven't actually watched in a while. I do own it. Um, yeah, I've actually watched the pseudo sequel, uh, Blood Diner, a lot more recently. But uh, mm. I mean, I like it for what it is. Actually, my first exposure to this movie was um, the John Waters movie Serial Mom. Oh yeah, yeah. In fact, that was probably it. my first exposure to anything, uh, Lewis. Because there's a scene in the movie where their Chip and his girlfriend and his buddy are are watching watching the movie, and I was just like, "What the fuck is that?" I mean, of course I should I should. <laughs> Here's the other thing: I shouldn't have been watching Serial Mom, uh, you know, when I was like 12. But whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was just I was like, I kind of need to see see something like this, and of course, you know, this was before internet was everywhere. So and I I don't even know if they actually say what the movie was. I, so I don't think it was until years later that I realized it was Blood Feast. I think they do name I, drop it. I think they do, but I, but either way, it was still many many moons until I could oh, finally sure. uh, get my hands on it. But I I do like like it for what it is. I mean, you know, it's full on gore and it's from '63. I mean, yeah, there was nothing else like it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, okay, before I continually keep calling uh, Terry out, Terry, did you get a chance to watch any of these that I sent you? Um, I watched this one, sort of. <laughs> she fell asleep. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I guarantee asleep. she fell asleep. Yep. <laughs> so what you did get to see anyway, because I'm, I'm really curious, because, um, you know, it's easy for... John, Brian, and I to talk about these movies. We all kind of share the same taste for that kind of cinema. Um, but from somebody who is hasn't been exposed to that much of ty- that type of cinema, what were your thoughts of this? 
Well, um, I mean, I can see, like, it has some charms to it, sure, but I just thought it was kind of boring, a little sure. slow-paced, um, the acting was awful, so maybe oh, yeah. in a different situation, like with a group, I would have enjoyed it more than just watching it by myself. Are you complaining about this stuff? Because this, this is the reason why I love it. <laughs> Even by myself. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, nowadays these type of movies are definitely far more group experience type of films. Yeah. But back in the day when these were made, and honestly, for their time, they were made to be B-pictures of drive-ins. Mm-hmm. They, they knew that the people and people were going to be sitting there making out in their cars and not really watching the movie. So they knew they had to make to make so many reels worth of footage to be able to play as a feature film. Um, and they knew they wanted that shock content of the excessive gore, so everything else in the movie really didn't matter. Because they knew no one would be watching it. People would be like, oh, that's awesome for the gore, or like, oh, that's so gross, and <laughs> I'm going to cuddle with my boyfriend now, or whatever. But then, like, when the dialogue starts starts going and it's like no one's watching yeah all i remember was some weird egyptian ritual stuff yeah Fuon ramsey <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> with his with his just like saying that name. Spri- i do yeah Fuon ramsey <laughs> and his uh his egyptian feast <laughs> feast of ishtar yes uh, with his uh, white spray on hair. Yeah. And, oh my god, that drove me crazy. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not the first, or I'm, I'm I'm sorry, that's not the last time Herschel made an actor spray on hair to try to play an older character. Uh. We'll get to that, I think. So kind of boring, bad acting. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't remember if it was in the commentary track for Blood Feast or maybe it was Wizard of Gore where like. Uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis knew he didn't have the best of actors, and he said his direction for actors were to just yell their lines. Okay, <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, and you know what? And and you know what? I've kind of took that to heart, and I'm just like, if if I have an actor that in one of my movies it's not that good of an actor, that's the direction I give them because like. It's one thing to have a bad actor who's all like, oh my god, look at that. You know, that's really scary. You know, that's just dull and boring. But if they're screaming the lines at you and they're still bad, at least it's something to watch. No wonder you kept yelling at me to yell my lines. Uh. (laughs) Fuck. Makes sense now. I didn't even get the part. (laughs) Oh... Oh, but that tongue, the tongue scene, right, Terry? Oh man, tongue scene. She didn't even make it that I far. I probably didn't oh. make it. Did you get past the opening scene in the bathroom, even? Oh yeah. Oh okay, good. Uh-huh. All right. So Brian, what about you? What do you have to say about Blood Feast? Um, kind of. I, th- I think it's been said. You know, it's it's certainly not his best. It's got its place in history as as something yeah. extremely important, and. Uh, it's, um, you know, it, it is a little slow. It's certainly primitive, but of course it is, because it was, you know, made in 1963 for, you know, the change that he found in his couch. So Yeah, um, I want to find $25,000 in my couch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
it does ha- it does have that year's uh it's a big cat. playmate in it so that you know it does have a little bit of star power that was probably a big draw um, oh yeah i forgot about connie mason yeah. And, yeah. and it was one like it i had seen other of his movies and knew about him before i got around to seeing blood feast and we can come back to that but that was one that uh i don't our video store didn't have it so we we found out about him through like Gorgor Girls was our first one of his back when I'm sure we all did this, but my friends and I owner in high school every weekend we'd pick somebody's house to stay at. We'd go rent five or six movies and we'd just stay up all night long watching you know, whatever we could find. And and uh, one of them we stumbled on was Gorgor Girls and we didn't appreciate it at the time. We were, you know, sixteen, seventeen years old and you know, we yeah. we laughed at it and had a good time and it's you know, making fun of it, but I don't think we quite realized that it was making fun of itself at that time but then as years went on we started to realize like oh wait you know that that movie's pretty good we should check out this hg lewis guy and then so one of us tracked down blood feast on ebay i think or something and uh we finally saw it so we i got to see it at at a time when i finally had an appreciation for it so i think that's why it's maybe a little more endearing to me okay cool so your first exposure was renting gorgor girls And John, you said your first expo- exposure to Herschel Gordon Lewis was seeing scenes of blood. Yeah, that would Syria. that would have been. I mean, the first full movie that I saw was uh, 2000 Maniacs. But yeah, nice. the first inkling of who he was was uh, Blood Feast. I think my first exposure. Well, I I would have to say probably the very first exposure was seeing some of those. Classic, I think, wizard video big boxes in the video store shelves. Oh, that's that's the Gorgor Girls that we saw. Is that's the one? And nice. when when that but, video store closed, we went in there and bought a bunch of this stuff. And I actually think I might be the one who ended up with the big box Gorgor Girls. Oh, dude, that's I, worth some I'm money. I'm pretty sure that's still downstairs in my basement. I'll have to go look later. Yeah, I'm totally <laughs> oh, gonna go look when I come to your house this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I never rented them. Uh, they always fascinated me because they had these really cool covers, and and that was also during my the heyday of really getting into the gore side of things and the special effects. And then there was a time where, shortly around that time, also I used to um, I used to order Rhino Record catalogs. Oh yeah, and I would order tons of records from Rhino Records because they. They they had people on their label that like you just couldn't find anywhere else. I'm a big Barnes and Barnes fan. The guy guys who do fish heads, I'm a big fan of theirs. So I had, so I was ordering all their albums. In the back of the catalog, they also had um, they they also started up their their uh, video label around that time, and they and I'm like man, their their selection of music artists are eclectic. I bet the movies are just as just as bizarre too, <clears throat> and. In this backpack, they had a whole big splash page, no pun intended, <laughs> of of nothing of like the of the three of the quote unquote trilogy Gore Herschel Gordon Lewis movies, and it was like one of the few color pages out of the whole catalog, and it was like this big advertisement for it. And I'm like, these got to be some amazing movies, man. If it, if it gets a whole page in the Rhino catalog just for the, these re-releases, and the covers were nice and bloody and gory. I I never got around to ordering those ones, and I wish I had because I would love to have those um, those Rhino VHSs just just for the box art alone. But uh, on the other side, I'm glad I didn't because I don't think I would have appreciated them and probably would have uh, 
took me even longer to appreciate her Shigor, come back and appreciate her Shigorn Lewis um, years later. So I can't remember the first one I ever did watch, though. I can't remember. Uh, I also remember maybe a couple years after that, there was this BBC show called Incredibly Strange Film Show. And it was, and I would catch it sporadically on like, I think late at night on Saturdays on like, on some, I can't even remember the cable channel now, to be honest with you. But, uh, and I videotaped a few of them. And one of them that I watched uh, was Herschel Gordon Lewis. And so that was like the first time I got to actually see scenes from the movies. Um, it was even way longer, way later than I ever actually got to see one of his movies. So. Hmm. Anyway, so that's my history with Herschel Gordon-Lewis. Moving on. <clears throat> so that's Blood Feast. Um, then we get uh, into 1964 with his follow-up to Blood Feast, and that is 2000 Maniacs. Yes. Which I think is probably my favorite of the whole, uh, out of all of Herschel's movies. Definitely. It's... <laughs> yeah. It's, I don't know, because it's still not well made, but... But it's better. It's better, and there's just this charm about the movie. Well, and it's based on, loosely on uh, Brigadoon. Yep. Which, I don't remember the full story behind that, but something about a town only appears, what, every hundred years or every so many years or whatever, but... Yeah, I thought, I don't know, I just thought it was kind of a cool idea for a horror movie, and it's got amazing deaths in it. And and that's when it also, too, because, like, Blood Feast, I mean, I think years later, Herschel was trying to say it was for comedy, but Blood Feast still plays, tries to play pretty straight. So it's like 2000 Maniacs, though, is definitely when they're definitely interjecting some comedy. There's some a lot more sillier characters. It's a lot more lighthearted, even though there's all all these gruesome things the going on in it. Deaths are horrific. Oh yeah, the deaths are horrific, but weird. but those hill, hillbilly, hillbillies are having a great time doing it. <laughs> oh yeah, they're they're having a blast. We were talking earlier before we started recording about you almost we were going to say what your favorite death was, and then we got scolded to save it because we were starting the episode before the episode started. So, what is your favorite death? I think I think my favorite death in the movie is the uh, the uh, barrel. Oh, I was gonna say that too. That oh, is also yes. my favorite. <laughs> I mean, even even if they did that now in a movie, that is still incredibly fucked up. And yet, like, that <laughs> is one of the ways they used to uh, to uh, uh, punish or test for witchcraft. That you know, stick somebody in a barrel full of nails and roll them down a hill, and if they came out okay, clearly they were a witch. And if they didn't, well, they're with God. Well, thank you, Professor Nerdzinger. <laughs> I mean, I love you. But, uh, yeah, that death. It, oh. And there's a lot of good deaths in that movie. The, the uh, was it the rock falling down on the, the chick yeah. or whatever. But, man, when they throw that guy in the barrel, he's like, no, no, I don't want to do this. And they're like, oh, you're going to anyway. And they start hammering those nails in there. Holy shit. <laughs> like I said, even if they did that now, that's royally fucked up. I think in terms of quality, that's probably his best movie. It's not my favorite of his, but it's probably it might be like number two. Um, yeah, it's got a more solid story than a lot of the others. It's got 
little bit better acting yeah. than well, well, there's obviously way more production value because oh, you're yeah. dealing with a whole town of lunatics. Better script. No, better, yeah, better script. Great music lot, by but, Lewis himself. Yeah, yeah, I, love yeah, I was going to say. I was going to say, John Carpenter and Herschel Gordon Lewis share a thing in common that they're both filmmakers and they both write music for their movies. Um, anyway, Lewis but. Lewis uh, is clearly better. <laughs> Man, how awesome would it have been if he uh, had been a little bit younger and seen the same kind of career renaissance that Carpenter has lately and H.P. Uh, Lewis got a band together and went out and played the South Gunner Eyes again? In I would fucking go to that in a heartbeat. Oh my God. I I have no idea where it was recorded at, but did you guys see that Godfather Gore? No, I have not seen that documentary yet. At the end of the, I think it's at the, it's either at the beginning during the opening credits, or maybe it's at the end during the closing credits. Um, They it shows Herschel Gordon Lewis at that time on stage singing that song, and obviously it was some kind of maybe like Herschel Gordon Lewis retrospect or some convention or something. But he was on stage singing the song. I'm like, that's that was awesome. Yeah, that's it's, pretty beautiful. I mean, granted, the the uh, the lyrics of it, you know, very, very, um, how do I want to say, uh, Republican. But uh, it's just, <laughs> well, but, but it's, it's a really well-made song, though, when it comes that, down to it. That does clearly does not reflect his personal views. No. To make the kind of... No, but that's it, not what I'm fits, saying. It fits the movie. The town is a southern town that fought in the Civil oh, yeah. War and got destroyed. So if the song was all, you know, PC and we're going to be friends with well, the no, black people, that, like, that would I'm, be like, just silly. <laughs> it's not a song that I'm going to go, you know, around town singing because people might not realize what I'm singing, but... Oh, yes. <laughs> it's, what, what I'm yeah. saying is, like, it's actually a really well-crafted song. It's mm-hmm. catchy. It's, I don't know, you know, you can stomp your foot to it. Oh, my God, I just remembered. Speaking of Rhino Records, I do remember, too, they also had, like, like the, they also had, like, the Herschel, I think it was, like, the Herschel Gordon Lewis soundtrack or something. God damn it, I wish I would have gotten that back in the day. Because it, it had the theme to 2000 Maniacs and um, She Devils on Wheels, which is, that song's great. That's probably my favorite Herschel Gordon Lewis song. Too late. It's two hundred dollars on eBay now. Oh, oh Jesus! No, is it really? I, 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 I didn't look it up. I don't know. I'm just guessing. I, would, I was oh, going to say. Oh, all right, okay. I'll throw in some oh. money. Brian, you throw in some money. <laughs> and Mike, you throw in some money, and then uh, I get Monday and Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> but have you guys seen She Devils on Wheels? Actually, no, I haven't. It, it's oh. still in. It's in that box set, and I haven't watched it yet. Um, the song is uh, that's my that's that song is awesome. Just watch it at, at least for the song. And the Cramps covered that song, and I heard that version long before I even knew um, that it was a Herschel Gordon Lewis song. So, um, man eaters on motorbikes. Uh, anyway, but back to two thousand maniacs. Yeah, it's. I mean, they have like I said, it had better production value. You have like scenes. Um, in the streets of this like Florida town, it was shot in Florida. In the s- streets in in this Florida town, you know, taking up like the whole in front of the city hall and all that stuff. So that's pretty cool. Um, Audio wise, it's it's superior because like there's there's those moments in Blood Feast where it's obviously they're like they didn't want to run sound that day. So like there's like this long stretches of like no audio and just people chasing after Fuan Ramsey or whatever. So. Um, so this has a full, complete soundtrack to it. Um, the music is awesome. 
the kills are great. So yeah, it was definitely a huge step up. But at that time, like Hirsch and um, I call him Hirsch, we're tight, <laughs> and uh, David Friedman saw the success of that formula and definitely were willing to pour pour more into it. So and it paid off. Uh, but then he went back and did a few other things before going on to the next score movie. Oh wait, did anybody? Did you guys have anything else to add about Two Thousand Maniacs? I'm sorry, I'm starting to jump in. Oh, the good. movie rules. Okay, Terry. Again, I asked, did you see this one? Oh, she no. stepped away. Okay, sorry. Never mind. Um. So then, moving on, Moonshine Mountain uh, was also in '64. Um, which I think had a lot of the same cast in it, even. Um, Sin, was that? Sin, Suffer, and Repent in 65. Monster Gogo in 65. Now, Monster Gogo <laughs> was another guy's, some other filmmaker made that movie Bill and Rebane. didn't finish it. Okay, thank you. Um, I think we had the same conversation last time, too. Um, and Herschel Gordon Lewis bought all the footage and he finished it. Which basically meant Herschel Gordon Lewis just overdubbing the whole thing. So it was. Uh, I would just listen to instead of going back to the box sets and and watching some of the <laughs> stuff of his that I haven't seen. I was going back through this last week uh, in prep for this episode, listening to some commentaries on the ones that I had already seen. Yeah. And uh, in one of the commentaries, I think it's uh, the gruesome twosome one. He was talking some about uh, the monster agogo situation and how apparently they either didn't know or care that they uh, had the same army guy in two different uniforms. So like one, he was a colonel and one, he was a sergeant or something like that, but it was the same guy. So, they, and they just, you know, they, they had the co one costume for one day and another costume for another day. And so when he was making it, he had considered taking the little extra time and effort and money and turning it into like a, you know, what's up tiger lily type of thing. Yeah, and and redubbing all the dialogue and turning it into a comedy and having like that guy like, hey, you did such a good job. We're gonna promote you. You you found the monster, and then at the end, it's like, oh, the monster got away. You suck. You're you're busted back down to. <laughs> <laughs> and tonally, the movie's a lot like that too. Yeah, I never really thought of the "What's Up, Tiger Lily" comparison, but yeah, that's probably that probably makes more sense. I mean. It, in the end, that's not the route. He he basically just shot a bunch of scenes of people's feet walking to pad out the time to 65 oh, yeah. minutes or whatever. <laughs> There's a lot of that in that movie, yeah. <laughs> For sure. So anyway, and that one and that one was also in black and white, too. Mm -hmm. So we're well in mid-60s, and, and he puts out a black and white film. It's a fun Mystery Science Theater episode, though. Yeah, it is. And it's kind of shocking they picked that movie, too, because it's like... You know that movie is ninety percent the uh, the dialogue, the uh, audio, like all this like voiceover narration and shit. Yeah, well, it worked with the creeping terror too. I mean, they have they can have some good fun with that kind of stuff. So, oh yeah, yeah. But I also think like creeping terror is also visual is visually a little more appealing. <laughs> if that's the word you want to use, <laughs> as far as far as riffing, anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, there's yeah. a lot. There's a lot more material right for the beating in that movie. It's that yep. stupid ass monster. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then after Monster Go Go, um, then his next film in the Blood trilogy, 
is uh, color me blood red. Color me blood red. <laughs> so Jason's only experience with color me blood red is the trailer. Over and over <laughs> and over. So and over. so what you're saying? Did you Yule log him with that trailer or what? Uh, was that, did I put that on an Insane Asylum loop, or was that just yes. from, okay. That just sounds really wrong. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, gave him the old Yule Log. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna walk right for a week. Okay. Yeah, yeah, there was a, a loop, a DVD loop that I made for our shop, Insane Asylum. <laughs> oh, God. And it was on one of those loops, and it played all over and over again. It's, and it, that, that trailer is annoying watching it one time, because they said, color me blood red like 30 times in the trailer so imagine having to hear it all day long no wonder this See, oh, never mind. now now i'm confused because <laughs> jason said it like a robot and you said it like dr evil so it's <laughs> two very very different deliveries there yeah it's just different interpretations um so thoughts on calling me blood red haven't seen it at all nope. okay own it seen it Maybe. <laughs> uh, this is America, and I drink a lot, so I don't even know anymore. It's probably my least favorite of all of his of all of his blood movies, because um, the premise is extremely simple, and so where where can you go with it, you know? But I I kind of like it on the surface because it's very much bucket of blood, Roger Corman's bucket of blood. So I often think, and they and um, it's been said that. People like people who overly study film, uh, who find more meaning in films that they need to be, has said that uh, Bucket of Blood is kind of an auto autobiographical film on Roger Corman, how he felt about his film career, and so the same could probably be said too for Calling Me Blood Red. Um, the premise is of, is it is like this like artist does all these crazy ass paintings. Um, but he kind of hits a roadblock. He's uninspired because he just can't get the right color of red in his paintings until he pricks his finger and bleeds on the canvas and realizes that human blood is the perfect color of red. So he kills people just to get their blood um, so he can do his paintings. So and that Makes sense. Yeah. So the audio, and the audio is kind of back to that form of like it's super shitty. Um, really bad audio. Uh, it doesn't help too that it's like shot. Uh, a lot of the film is shot along this beach, so that probably has a lot to do with the bad audio. But uh, there's there is a there is some really cool scenes in it, some really funny scenes of this couple that find one of the uh, one of the human legs on the beach. If I if I remember the line right, holy bananas! It's a girl's leg. So. Uh, what's wrong with that line? I just because um. Batman wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's color me blood red, and that is the end of what they call the blood trilogy. And I don't know why it's those three films in particular that make up the blood trilogy. If maybe it's just because those are the first three. That's yeah, my guess. Would, that would be the most likely. Yeah, scenario. but but the ones that come after are are like, in my mind, far superior to like Color Me Blood Red and even maybe Blood Feast. 
Yeah, I mean, um, he really ramped up the gore right at the end of his filmmaking career. Yeah, yeah. Like, going out with a bang. Um, so then in 66, he only did one movie in 66. That's weird. Uh, Jimmy the Boy Wonder, which I have no idea what that is even about. Um, Jimmy the Boy Wonder. But, yeah. <laughs> I think that may be during his, I think that may be during his phase of doing children's films because then the next one after that is in 1967 magic land of mother goose yeah and he did a lot of stuff that wasn't his pro you know he he was also a director for hire so i would guess that a lot of that oh that's I would true guess that a lot of that kind of stuff is probably somebody said hey you know how to make a movie real quick and cheap we have this thing we want to do doesn't even have to be good because it's for kids and they don't fucking know anything I also just, I just love how there's these two children movies sandwiched in between Color Me Blood Red and then um, also in 1967, The Gruesome Twosome. <laughs> that is a fun movie. Yes, it and is. really, like, one of his, two of his, that and Gorgor Girls, and, and maybe there's, there's some comedy in some of his other movies too, but I think Gruesome Twosome and Gorgor Girls are, I mean, I would classify them as horror comedies. Oh, like sure. they're intentionally funny to the point that the comedy is is at an almost equal level to the shock scenes. So, very true, very true. Um, yeah. So gruesome twosome. It's about this uh, elderly woman and her um, son. Kind of, uh, he's kind of slow witted, and they are renting out rooms in their house but they also own a wig shop and they scalp the local college girls in order to get the hair for the wigs for their wig shop genius <laughs> yes very genius how come no one has remade this one yet this actually if they re there is there is a remake of it it's got crispin glover that's wizard of gore yeah oh yeah. i was yeah Duh. What am I thinking? Jesus Christ! I, I, I was jumping ahead. I am gonna <laughs> fucking just here. No, I am gonna punish you on set. <coughs> you listen up, boy. <laughs> you, you, you don't. You I, don't know. I was jumping ahead, and here's my train of thought. My mind started wandering to this movie used every bit of footage they shot for it. Every inch of film is on that screen and it still underruns. He was talking about in the commentary track. Now, believe me, that there, there is a point to this. My points are long and rambling and stupid, but they do have an, a, a, a goal at the end of the movie. Most of the time, yeah. Um, the movie underran because he was very particular about keeping track of how much film they shot because yep. film is expensive. And at the end of the shoot, he realized we didn't use as much film as you usually do. And during the production, that was a great thing. He's thinking, awesome, we're going to get this done you know, under budget. We're doing great. And then at the end, he realized, shit, we don't have a long enough movie, which is why <laughs> there's that goofy thing with the two mannequins talking to each other, the two wig, wig, blocks. wig blocks at the beginning. They, they, yeah. just, they just shot that in his office in like five minutes because it's like, oh, fuck, we need something else. And this will be silly. People will get a kick out of it. And that's also... Just, that's also oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say that, which is my favorite favorite scene of the whole yeah. movie, is the wig blocks. That's also why there are so many shots of just people sitting and eating and stuff. Because <laughs> they filmed those thinking, okay, we'll have this for filler if we need it. 
and then they needed all of it. So they just stuck <laughs> it all in, whether it was appropriate or not. And the scenes of the close-up of that guy's mouth eating those fucking potato chips <laughs> is Ray Sager, who played the Wizard of Gore. So suck oh. it. <laughs> yeah. Wow, <laughs> that took forever. <laughs> Jason, Terry, are you still awake? <laughs> kind of like that wig block scene. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> just, just checking, because that would have put anybody to sleep. Uh, <laughs> I love you. Love oh, you. you. You mean people don't like my pedantic rants on here? That's um, that's that's really all the material I have is pedantic rants. So that, I love it because that's less work I have. To I go low-brow humor. So really, Mike has nothing left. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> he might see you guys later. Yeah, he's fucking. I'm going home. <laughs> um, but I love the wig block scene. Mostly, I think mostly because I know that history too, and like the whole have and just shot it to pad out the running time. And so I give Jason a hard time every time we make a movie, and we feel like it's going to come up short. And I'm like, well, I could shoot two scenes. I can shoot a scene with two wig blocks talking. <laughs> he gets he gets kind of it's mad. hilarious every time. <laughs> So much so that I actually wrote a script um, that we have, we've never shot. Maybe this is why. That, like, the lead character talks to a wig block throughout the movie. So it's my homage to Gruesome Twosome and to give Jason a hard time. Oh, another bit of fun stuff about that movie, that when, uh, when we first meet the old lady, who's the one of the two, the twosome, uh, she's walking in her apartment, she's carrying that cat. I yeah. Mean, like... Siamese looking cat um, apparently that cat was such a giant pain in the ass that they only used it for that one scene and they're like fuck this we'll just get a stuffed cat so it transforms into a goddamn stuffed ocelot for the rest of the oh, movie that's right. <laughs> I forgot about that and then she continues to pet it and talk to it like it's her actual cat yeah that's just, that's <laughs> just so fucked up because it's for no rhyme or reason the cat's gone and there's this like stuffed like ocelot cat and again the reasoning was it doesn't matter people think it's funny <laughs> who cares <laughs> that's true but it's true i mean you could just be like well maybe the lady thought that it was a real cat and for like one split second it was and there's that scene where a retarded son is like knitting something or like darning socks i forget something with yarn <laughs> and he's got the yarn wrapped around the cat's face like that's <laughs> a spool of yarn <laughs> uh Oh, movie's so good. Man, I just want to make a bad movie. It's fun. I was going to say, how do we do that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I love Demonica. Thanks. Oh. Thank you. Uh, I was trying to remember the old lady's name. I couldn't remember some, her character name anyway. Oh, uh... Mrs. Pringle, that's right. Yep. Mrs. Pringle. Oh, yeah, Gruesome Twosome. So, uh, anything else you guys want to add about it? Before we move on? Okay. Okay. And then also in 67, he made The Girl, The Body, and The Pill, uh, which has probably one of my favorite posters of all time, where it's like two word balloons. One of, them, one of the word balloons says, um, what, do you call, what do you call a girl who doesn't take the pill? The other word balloon says, Mom. <laughs> I think that's awesome. Anyway, um, and then also in 67, and you talk about making movies for hire. This was definitely a movie for hire. 
and that is something weird, which you know where the video label something weird video came from, is is from this title. Huh. So and the something best goddamn commentary track ever. I'm so glad you told me yes. to listen to that one. <laughs> you are welcome. Have you ever actually watched the movie though, or just uh, no? Just, I've just seen it with the commentary on. So <laughs> so so I mean, and that's no. fine. So yes, I've seen the. I mean, I was watching the images while I was listening to the commentary so Stop it's not like I have no idea so yeah. how fucked up could it have been for you to sit there watching this movie <laughs> not knowing what's going on and listening to this great commentary track about the history of something weird video and then all of a sudden the guy is wrestling with his own bed sheet <laughs> that's a little weird <laughs> <laughs> so what so I, I gotta describe this one I, I, I didn't want to go into describing all of his movies as we went along just kind of talk about it but like um, it's kind of hard not to want to describe any any of his movies because they're so freaking got such bizarre premises, so funny. But this one is probably the weirdest one. So there's this guy who I think he's like an electrician or something, and he's working up this pole, and he gets electrocuted and falls off the pole. It gives him psychic abilities being electrocuted, but it messes up his face, so he's all like burnt up and stuff. But he has these psychic abilities. This witch comes along. There's a witch in this movie. And grants him a beautiful face. And as long as, you know, they kind of bump uglies. And so... It's win-win there. I know, but when I say bump uglies, there's the, oh. you know, pun is intended on that too. Because she's a witch. Oh. You know. Very much, very much ripping off um, the Wicked Witch from Wizard of Oz, for sure, in this movie. So then he now has this beautiful face, thanks to this curse of the witch. And so, and since he's got the psychic, psychic abilities, he becomes rich and famous. And every time he tries to fall in love with another woman or whatever, the witch shows back up and reminds him of the deal. And so, so it's such a bizarre combination of like this supernatural magic story with like superhero origin comic book storyline going on in it. It's just it's a weird ass movie. Now it's not a gore film. It doesn't have any of the of the gore in it, um, but it's a weird ass movie. And it was actually uh, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but there's a, there's a a guy who was really, really believed in ESP. Um, and he wanted Herschel Gordon Lewis to make a movie about ESP. So, And that's where something weird came from. So, yeah, bizarre movie. But, yes, if you can get the Something Weird video DVD of it, it's the one of the greatest commentary tracks of all time. Gives you the full history of Something Weird video kind of get a little jealous because i do anyway because i want to i wanted to be that guy to get basically the king of keys of the kingdom of these like vaults of movies that nobody cared about and just was like given free reign just like take what you want oh yeah. so awesome serious collector envy from that yes <laughs> big time. and i wonder too i mean i know their catalog is massive and all their bonus features also stem from the stuff that he from he took he took from those warehouses, but I also wonder too: is there still shit 
that something weird owns that we have never seen. Oh, inevitably. I mean, as much stuff as they put out, there there couldn't be more than a couple hundred something weird titles, are there? Maybe three hundred. Yeah. Well, you also have all that all that stuff on their on their um, website too. Though. Yeah, the print on demand, the mail order stuff. But yeah, there, yeah. there's just I mean, because there are so many weird little stag loops and short films mm-hmm. and. I mean, I, you know, there's certainly more of that than there are features. But yeah, I, I can't imagine what's out there is even half of what. I mean, those vaults just have to be unbelievable. I know, and kind of makes me sad too. I'm like, what's going to happen with all that stuff now? After, um, oh my gosh, I can't remember his Frank name now. Well, oh, oh, no, the, the guy who ran it, Mike, Mike yeah. Rainey. Yeah. After he passed away, I mean, like, well, cause it seems like it seems like Frank is kind of picking up the reins, but you know, not, I th- not doing the releases like they used to. More just, you know, they've got a little print exactly. on demand. It's not really so much of a business as he's just like the curator of this bizarre, insane smut museum now. Exactly, and so it's still just recycled to the same stuff that's already been there. Yeah. So I'm like, what's still in the vault that see, I, may never see the light of day? I hope somebody young and hungry and enthusiastic like the guys who do Vinegar Syndrome pick it up after Frank and, and really ramp it up as a as a distribution label again. That would be great. And I also, also wonder, too, because I don't think um, even at the height of, like of something weird video i don't think mike had the all the tools at his disposal to clean up some of these prints because if you watch some of that stuff it's you could still see all the scratches on the dvd but but, but that's that the charm i mean yeah i was gonna say that's not. why i like them i i don't yeah i don't want pristine blue i mean it's fine putting some of this stuff on blu-ray you know something weird did a few blu-rays and vincent does a ton of blu-rays but I mean, you can clean these things up to a certain extent, but at the end of the day, that's part of what I love about them is they just look like they fished the negative out of a truck stop toilet. Like, the, <laughs> the grime and the scum and the visual ickiness of the print is is a really big part of the the aesthetic appeal of these movies to me. Oh, I agree with you 100%. Um, what I was what I was gonna say though is I wonder if there was stuff that was so damaged that oh. like Mike didn't even feel right about releasing. Oh. So, so not so and, much cleaning up the images that the film is so fucked up that you just can't get the print off of it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so if there's if there's somebody out there who had and with better technology to be able to do that now, I don't know. I'm just again, I'm and I'm just speculating. You know, who knows? Really. Oh, how awesome would that be? If anybody could pull off cleaning up that shit, it'd be the guys of Vinegar Syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of companies out there doing amazing work. Um, obviously, you know, my favorites, because you guys think I'm a shill for them, uh, Synapse. Mm-hmm. But the stuff that Vinegar <laughs> Syndrome has put out, like, these movies should not look like they were made a year ago. Synapse has a, a little bit of an advantage in that, yeah, they do a lot of more obscure stuff but they're still working with movies that had a wider distribution and yeah the, you know the prints are you know they're they're a little bit uh less obscure they're a little bigger titles 
um, and the prints were probably taken care of a little better by the theaters and by yeah. the distributors. Whereas Vinegar Syndrome, they're dealing with a lot of stuff that played, you know, 42nd Street porn houses. Then they clearly did not give a fuck about taking care of the prints yeah. of their movies. In fact, yeah. a lot of those places, they didn't rent the prints. What would uh, happen is the the whoever distributed the movie would strike a bunch of prints, and a lot of these porn houses would just buy a print. You know, they'd make a thousand prints rather than a, a, only maybe a hundred, and these porn houses would just buy a print, and then they'd have it and they could just play it as much as they wanted. And so once they were their prints, there was no impetus at all to take care of them. Once people stopped buying tickets, they probably just got thrown in a drawer or, you know, or worse. Yeah. yeah. Or worse. Yeah. The, the, thrown in a drawer is probably the best case scenario. Yeah. <laughs> so there was really, you know, the, the stuff, the vinegar syndrome guys are film archeologists. Like they, yeah, it's amazing I mean, well, that they can unearth this shit and make it playable again. Well, like we've discussed on, on this, you know, the show a few times. At least Brian and I have massage parlor murders. <laughs> Their first movie, like, holy shit, that thing looks pristine. Yeah, there's that's... no way a movie that horrible should look so amazing. I mean, there's new movies released that don't look that good. Yeah, that that is a real triumph of HD transfer cleanup work. That it's, yeah, it's. It's magic. That's the only way you can describe something of that level. It's magic. So I'd love to see what they could do with uh, some of the stuff from something weird. Oh, man. Awesome. Can you imagine a 4K restoration of the God Monster of Indian Flats? Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Is that necessary? Yes. Yeah. Me, Brian, and Mike will buy it. That we're the only, we're the only ones, but... <laughs> Oh, I love God Monster of Indian Flats. Hell yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so uh, where were we? We were talking about something weird. Um, then also in 67, he did Blast Off Girls and finishing out that year with Taste of Blood, which is another horror movie, but also another bloodless horror movie. Even though it's got blood in the title, what the hell? Um... Yeah, I think it was like Herschel Gordon Lewis really trying to make a mo- trying to make a movie. You know what I mean? Like instead of just like you know exploitation or whatever. Like it, 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 you really get a sense when you watch that one that he's really trying to make a quality film. Um, and it still just looks like a Herschel Gordon Lewis movie <laughs> at the end of the day. But uh, uh, it's a vampire tale, so. Um, so that's kind of what what's going on. Have you guys ever seen Taste of Blood? Again, in the box set. Haven't got around to it yet. Wait, which gotcha. box set? That really awesome, expensive one? Yep. That that I got before it got awesome and expensive. I think I picked it up for like fifteen dollars. Oh, I thought you were. Ta- I thought we were talking about that that new one. That. Like, oh no the the oh, oh, the Blu-ray box set. No, yeah, the one that, yes. that's giving Mike a chub right now. No, right now, now. No, I mean, old, I yeah, I'm thinking about it too. This is the old something weird kind of, DVD set that's got Wizard of Gore, Gruesome Twosome, Something Weird, Taste of Blood, and something else. I okay, forget. so still yeah. an awesome box set, but not the one that yeah we we are all drooling over. Did you yeah, did you no. buy that? Uh, by the way, Brian. No. Good. Much to my great regret, we can neither both did go, I. We can both go jump Brandon and take his. Yeah, it's going to take both of us. <laughs> Maybe Mike, too. Uh, 
Yeah, I'll help. <laughs> He's like, I want to fuck somebody's face up. I don't know who this guy is, but yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I don't know who you are, but I want to bash your face in and take your H.G. Lewis box set. <laughs> America. Not only, not only do I want that box set just because of the, the, you know, those movies on Blu-ray, but I think there's even one in the box set that I still don't even have. I can't remember which one it was though. Well, don't you have oh, a weird thing about buying movies online? Kinda. You're never mostly... gonna get that box set for sure. Yeah, I know. Most of it is because I feel like it's Pandora's box with me. Like once I open that lid, it's like it, all hell's gonna oh, break it, loose. It, it is, and it will. Then yeah, you are so, totally correct on that. So yeah. I'll have the coolest DVD and Blu-ray collection in the world, but I'll be living in the street. Yeah, just just carrying them around in a shopping cart with a HD TV mounted on the front of the cart, a little Blu-ray <laughs> player, so you can watch them while you're pushing it down the street, picking up pop cans. Y'all want to watch some weird ass obscure shit? Follow me. <laughs> but this guy's the coolest fucking bum ever. <laughs> then your parents pull you off to the side. Don't talk to him. <laughs> okay, so now we're on to 1968, where he made Alley Tramp. Suburban Roulette, She Devil on Wheels, which is probably my favorite non-horror Hershey Gordon Lewis movie, and it's just it's just a bike a biker exploitation movie. That's the other one but, that's in that box set. Oh, there you go. Well, and it makes sense. I think that's probably his most well-known movie outside of his um, gore movie, out of, out of the blood movies. Besides the blood movies, I mean. Um, and then just for the hell of it. And How to Make a Doll. Then in 1969 was Ecstasies of Women, Linda and Abilene, which Linda and Abilene is on Netflix, by the way, guys. Really? Yeah. It's been in my queue for about two years. Holy I still yet to watch it's it. it's still on there? Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, what the? He doesn't watch movies in his Matt, queue. do you remember? It, this, it's sad that nostalgia has gotten to the point where you're talking about things that were like, Two years ago, but you remember when Netflix used to have a shitload of awesome old exploitation movies like yeah. that? Yeah, they're like just tons oh, yeah. and tons of them. Those were the days. Those were the days. Two years ago, right? Took them away. They used to have like the entire uh, genre in, and I know I'm so Rowan. I'm terrible Ruin. at pronouncing French names, but um, like all of the redemption video stuff from him, like you know, Lips of Blood and, and Grapes of Death, and all that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw my first Caesar Caesar Romero movie on uh, on Netflix. That wasn't part of the Doctor Blood trilogy. Caesar Romero. Did I say Caesar Romero? Yeah, I was, you did. I was, uh, I was who, just gonna say you'd never seen the Batman movie up until was, no, no, you no. had me so confused wait. there. <laughs> wait, who do I mean? Who who directed the Blood the Doctor Blood trilogy? Um. Oh, you're talking about the Blood Island trilogy. Yeah, uh, Eddie Romero. Eddie yeah, Romero. There we go. I'm so confused God for a second there. Yeah. How the <laughs> I fuck saw have my you ever first... seen his movies? <laughs> I saw my first Eddie Romero non-Blood Island movie on Netflix. Which one was that? Some, uh, some World War II movie. Oh, okay. I can't remember the name of it. It was awesome. I don't think I've seen any of his war movies, but... Uh... I've seen a few others. Uh, Beast of the Yellow Knight, that's a fun one. Yeah, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. So then, now we're into the 1970s with 
Um, the Wizard of Gore in 1970 with Maytag the Magician. <laughs> so, thoughts on Wizard of Gore? It's awesome. I, I've, never, <laughs> yep. I've, I've never seen the whole thing. Oh, okay. Don't hit me. I won't hit you. That's... Ryan's going to. <laughs> no, no, no. no. I, I was just thinking about them arguing about that in Juno. Yeah, that's how. That's what I was thinking yeah. about. And how weird and completely out of left field that is. And of course, the best part of the movie by a mile. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and I actually like that movie, but yeah, the fact that a bunch of little kids were going to the theater to see this weird indie comedy, drama, romantic, whatever the fuck it was supposed to be, and got exposed mm. to H.G. Lewis. Yeah. And, yeah, to some, and, awesome. and Dario Argento, but I can't, you know, he's, again, a little, little more well-known than, than Lewis. Yeah. But. Now, I forget who took what stance. Was, oh, it, was Ju- Juno she was liked- the Argento guy, because, yeah. because okay. she was the young person she'd never seen wizard of gore so that was like he was showing her that's wizard true. of gore i'm sorry but girl her age has seen argento movies and she yeah. was in my high school she would have been my crush <laughs> like, <laughs> like yeah, i would like what now yeah yep for sure yeah so wizard of gore I think it was the Wizard of Gore that inspired me to when we shot our film Requiem for a Dead Man mm-hmm. that we thought to put to to uh, buy carpet to lay to lay carpet down on top of the original carpet of the kitchen, um, so we, so that all the blood would not get on the original carpet because that's what they did in uh, the restaurant scene mm-hmm. in uh, Wizard of Gore. And if you watch that closely, you can totally see just like the edges of the carpet and well, where, like you can there's like a sheet of plastic on the floor, and that's like you can see the edges yeah. around the. Um, yeah, that that's a fun one. Yeah, yeah. Ray Sager Some was really great imagine of Gore in that one yeah. too. Ray Sager was not originally the guy who played Montag magnificent um it was i forget the guy's name it was somebody else but he uh that was the towards the beginning of lewis's partnership with another producer whose name also escapes me but they did the mayflower films that was their production company and um the original guy they got to play the wizard did something to piss off the other guy the other producer and uh so they shit canned him and then like the day they were going to start recording so they're like Shit, what are we going to do? Hey, Ray, can you play Montag? And he's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> sure. And he's super fun in it. Just hammy and crazy oh, yeah. eyes bugging out. It's, yeah. Oh, yeah. But younger than what the part was supposed to be. So here again, we have spray <laughs> on white hair. So awesome. And then Herschel Gordon Lewis has said that, um, that he um, was. Not very. He didn't know how to do any of the magic tricks. He was kind of uncoordinated, so he was always dropping props and scenes and stuff like that. Um, and he and then he it had talked about how like he um, he wanted to do uh, he wanted to do like a a person on a rack and pull the person apart with the rack because he said he finally figured out how to do that effect right. 
because he tried he wanted to do it in 2000 maniacs with the drawn quarter scene but that's why it's cut away because they couldn't do the cut they couldn't do the effect right so he was going to do it in wizard of gore i can't remember what happened something where they were shooting at something caught on fire <laughs> and they got kicked out of the location because of it so they didn't get to shoot the scene and 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 the wizard of gore the wizard of gore is probably the best example of screaming your dialogue if you can't act because <laughs> that movie is all yelling from montag down to the police officers to all yeah a lot of screaming in that movie um okay so then in 1971 so he's really slowing down now uh, uh well i'm sorry i missed one so in 1970 he only made the wizard of gore and mrs or miss nymphit's zappin what miss <laughs> miss nymphit's zappin is the name of the movie yes it was his kind of like trying to capture. He was trying to rip off uh, Rowan and Martin's Laughing, so it's kind of a sketch comedy sh movie, different skits and that one storyline. And then in '71, he did This Stuff Will Kill Ya, um, Black Love, and then in '72 he did You're the Yahoo, and then the final film out of his 11 years of making movies. Back to the gore with the Gorgore Girls. That is my personal favorite of his. It's <laughs> so funny. The gore is, is just unbelievable. Like, it's it's his funniest and most gruesome movie. Like, if, if, um, if Lloyd Kaufman made a movie in 1972... A gore movie in 1972, it would be Gorgor Girls, because it really has that kind of trauma aesthetic to mm -hmm. it. Especially with the uh, cutting of the nipple scenes. <laughs> and that kind of weird non-sequitur stuff is why when we rented that movie back in the day. <laughs> and, and, and this, you know, we, we'd stay up all night long watching these movies. And so whatever movie wound up in, like, the slot around four o'clock in the morning. That was like the soul crusher. We'd watch that and just be like, if this isn't awesome, we're going to fucking hate it. And so of course this loopy weird movie that we don't, and it should have well, the title, like the Gorgore girls, we should have figured that like, this is going to be silly, but for yeah. whatever reason, the reaction to it was just like every further, more ridiculous thing. We didn't, I don't think at the time get that it was meant to be funny so like, really, yeah. he's beating her ass with a meat tenderizer? Fuck you, movie. <laughs> really, he's cutting her nipples off and one shoots regular milk and one shoots chocolate milk? Fuck you, movie. <laughs> oh, the African-American African lady is the one that shoots out the chocolate oh milk. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, he, it's, it, it's, no that, it's the same woman. He kills a oh, woman and it? he cuts both her nipples off and one shoots oh. regular milk. Because he, he has two wine glasses or like you know champagne glasses or whatever. And he holds them under her nipples, and one's got the chocolate, one's got the white, and then the killer like clinks them together in front of the camera. <laughs> and and again, how it didn't occur to me that that was supposed to be funny, I have no idea. But and it's it's amusing now that you know at the time I just I didn't think that movie was worth a good goddamn. 
and now I love it because <laughs> I've, yep. I've come around and as you know with with maturity I have come to appreciate the immaturity of that movie. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about the meat tenderizer to the butt, and then and he was... sprinkles salt and pepper on her ass after he beats it too. <laughs> oh, that movie's awesome! Yeah. Awesome. So, like I said, it's a little bit kind of trauma-ish, but you can also almost say it's a little bit Italian. Yeah. Because it's a faceless killer. It's black, put, black gloves. Black, with black gloves, a lot of POV stuff. and Yeah. And, and like I mentioned uh, earlier in the show, it has um, Henny Youngman in it, which I find hysterical. And, and apparently at the time he wanted to be in it. Like, yeah, but then after the fact, denied yeah. it. So, ah, <laughs> uh, good old Gore Gore girls. And the, there's there's an eyeball scene in um, Gruesome Twosome, and there's another one in Gore Gore Girls where he pulls the chick's eyeball out and like squeezes it, smushes it in front of the camera. And that was Lewis's son both times, because oh, yeah? nobody else on the set was like, okay, you can play with all this tempera paint all you want. That's fine. That's funny but we're not touching those gross-ass real eyes. Like, one of them was a fish eye, and one of them was like a cow or a sheep eye or something. Nice. And never, it was like, no, we draw the line. That's disgusting. And his son was like, fuck it, I'll do it. I've got gloves on. How do I care? <laughs> that's awesome. And that's the thing, too, I think we kind of forgot to mention with all these movies on how Herschel has is always just lingered on those gore shots. like Trademark. It's kind of a trademark. Where <laughs> trademark. It just does not pull away from that. It just stays on that gore. Sometimes it'll zoom into the point where it goes out of focus. You know, it's it's just really. He's just trying to fill time. What's that? He's just trying to fill time. Now there's that too, always. But oh man, and I think Gorgo Girls is one of the worst for that. Like just really holding on to those gore shots. <clears throat> so. That ends his his um, career as a filmmaker. From then, he went on to um, basically he would write um, he would write uh, ads that would get mailed to your home, like all that all those ads you get in the mail. He wrote a lot of that stuff, so I don't know how I feel about that. Well, he he also wrote a lot of books on advertising. Yep, there were a lot of books on advertising. And that's the thing, like, I don't really see... I, I see a lot of parallels between his film career and then working in advertising, really. Huh. I mean... It's, it's that, you know. that that spirit of showmanship that you were talking about earlier. Yep. Like, he knew how to plug stuff. He knew how to ballyhoo. He knew how to sell people on an idea. And so it was perfectly natural that once he got tired of making films, he would do that. Yep, exactly. So, and he was pretty successful at that as well. So, you know, the, he was he was a very very smart man. Now he did come back to show business. You know, later on, many you know many years later, um, he did which is a movie that I love so much. The official sequel to Blood Feast, Blood Feast Two: All You Can Eat. He did that in 2002, and it was released of all people. You know, you would think for sure it'd be like something weird would would distribute that, you know, since he's since they've been in bed together for so long. That, but no, it was uh, Shriek Show um, of all 
of all people to distribute that movie. And I still haven't seen that one. Is it still available? Or is it like out of print and super expensive now? I don't know. It might still be available. John, have you seen the uh, Blood Feast 2? I think he stepped out. Oh. Oh, yeah, if I looked at the screen. Uh, but I know Jason has. I mean, I'm watching it. <laughs> Probably don't remember it, though, do you? Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I get the feeling you just clockwork orange him on a lot of these things. Sometimes. <laughs> Here's, here come the eye clamps. Just because I know how happy it makes him, I let him do it. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, the comedy in Blood Feast 2 is... Am- well, all of it, really, is amped up to, like, a, a thousand, you know? It's... It is, you know, how you, it's kind of questionable on some of those earlier films. I'm like, okay, is it really supposed to be comedy or is it really just that bad? Well, this is blatant comedy. There's a lot of, a lot of parody in it, a lot of satire, well, you know, a lot of winking at the camera. Uh, the gore is definitely amped up and it's got several moments of just lingering on the gore. And then even the nudity is amped up. It's ton, it's got ton of nudity in it as well. And that you know his his older gore movie. You know he did nudie camp movies, so he's no stranger to a yeah. bare pair of tits. But he exactly. did not. Other than gore gore mm-hmm. girls, really, there wasn't much nudity in his gore movies. He kept those two things very separate in his early no, career. No, and from watching that incredibly strange film show episode of his, uh, I think that had a lot to do with the fact that you know he knew. Like he knew his nudie movies would get like banned in certain in certain areas. There was there was there was a lot of legislation against the against that type of stuff. But but the thing with the gore movies and how they got away with it for for a while is that there was no legislation against that because that didn't exist. Yeah. So no one thought to try to ban that stuff. So that's how they got away with with showing these movies in all these mass markets. Um, and in all these and uh, all these other in southern markets and stuff where they would really censor censor uh, things or ban your movie what have you and so he purposely avoided nudity and foul language you know because that stuff would be like the linchpin to get that movie banned in that market but but since it was just gore they kind of didn't know what to do so he got away with uh, showing those movies until until somebody thought, well, we should probably do something about this. <clears throat> so I think that's a, a reason why a lot of those gore movies don't don't have the nudity in them. Yeah, makes with sense. With the exception of Gore Gore Girls and Blood Feast Two, and then he did one in two thousand nine that I still haven't seen or been able to find called the Uh Oh Show. I don't know if you guys have heard of that one or not. Only just through the list. Yeah. Um, but he's also appeared in a lot of movies. Uh, one called Smash Cuts. Um, uh, the Chainsaw Sally Show. She, uh, he has appeared in that. Uh, I'm trying to remember. He's, he's so he's made a lot of appearances. You know because he's Herschel Gordon Lewis in several movies. Um, but that's that's it for his career. Now that you've got like some of the. Some of the uh, quote-unquote sequels or uh, remakes, like um, Blood Diner, which I've only ever seen once, cause, and I didn't care for it at the time. What? And that's, well, and, oh. But I didn't know at the time either. Again, this is earlier in my horror movie fandom, so if it wasn't pretty Hollywood 
blood and guts or whatever. Oh. I thought it was garbage. So, and I, I didn't get it. I didn't get that it was like kind of a sequel to Blood uh, Blood Feast. But so I don't really remember much about Blood Diner. But if you guys want to indulge, that'd it's, be great. I own it. Um, but it's still been a while since I've watched it. But what is it? Two brothers, Brian? Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Yeah, that? yeah. They take it from there, Brian. <laughs> well, that's just <laughs> I, I, seriously. It's been a, it's been that long since I've watched it. I guarantee you, it's been longer since I've seen it because oh, I'm sure I've only seen it once too. Like mm-hmm. Mike, although I liked it when I saw it, and here it was. It was another one of those high school uh, horror movie night a thon things. But it was after we'd, you know, well after we'd seen Gorgor Girls, we'd started to realize how important Lewis was. We'd seen Blood Feast, and, you know, we, my buddies and I were starting to appreciate this stuff. And Blood Diner came towards the end of our, our movie night run before, you know, college and life ruined everything, and we couldn't just sit around watching movies all day long. <laughs> and we we had no idea what it was we just picked it up cuz well this is one of the last horror movies in the section of premiere video that we haven't actually seen yet so i guess <laughs> it's going in the pile and then like you know a third of the way through it we we realized holy shit this is like an unofficial sequel slash tribute to blood feast that's awesome so uh, yeah other than the two brothers running the diner that they kill people and feed them to other people and uh, is there do they have a connection to Fouad Ramses? Are they like his nephews or something? It's something like that. Yeah. I really need to buy that movie. Is it, that's out on Blu-ray now, isn't it? Yeah, so I uh, need just to came that. out on Blu-ray. Well, yeah. I have the European or British release of it on Blu-ray, but now there's the Lionsgate Vestron or whatever the hell it is uh, Blu-ray release. Oh, Jesus. So it's one of those ones that's like... Forty fucking dollars for the Blu-ray. It's, is it? Well, it's twenty-seven, but still expensive as fuck for no reason. Yeah, that's irritating. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> See, it, was, if it's something like Arrow Video, where they put a shitload of work into not just restoring the movie, but producing all these new special features, tracking people down for interviews, doing new commentary tracks, uh, documentaries, things like that, I don't mind paying. 25 or 30 dollars for a blu-ray of some piece of trash that has like six hours worth of brand new features on it and a new transfer and st- you know they put some love into it but something like that where it's just like hey if we put the vestron video logo on it people will pay for it and jack up the price for that reason alone yeah. fuck that still gonna do that for uh wax uh wax works <laughs> love those movies so here's one of the plot summaries here on IMDb for Blood Diner. Two cannibals slash health food diner owners are on a wacky quest to restore life to the five million year old <laughs> goddess Shitar. Shitar? <laughs> yeah. Aided by their uncle's brain and penis, the two mm-hmm. set, set about getting the required parts, virgins, assorted body parts from horrors, and the ingredients for a, a blood buffet. Their advisories, their adversaries are sorry, are the police, the chief with the Russian accent, the player detective, and the New Yorker with an Australian accent. Sounds awesome. That sounds <laughs> awesome. 
Yeah, maybe I will shell out the twenty-seven dollars for that Blu-ray set. I want to see this movie again now. <laughs> so now, as far as like official remakes slash sequels, uh, there was the Wizard of Gore remake, which was brought up earlier, starring Crispin Glover, which I I couldn't even finish to be honest with you. Because it was shite. What? Oh. Yeah, it felt like it was just one big advertisement for those Suicide Girls. Yeah, that's all it was. And Crispin Glover wanted the money to make his weird movies. Yep. God bless yep. him. But you like Love both of those bastard. things. I do. Not together. Oh. Well, but I wanted to. I wanted to see the Wizard of Gore. I didn't want to watch the Suicide Girls movie. <laughs> and no. If I want to watch Crispin Glover, I want him watching. You know, I want to have Crispin Glover doing weird ass shit. Yeah, I mean, talk about cool casting, right? But he, just, he seriously does movies like that just for the money to fund his own projects. He doesn't care what he does. That movie no. Simon says, oh. oh, I haven't seen that. Oh, oh yeah, well, don't. And then you got the 2001 Maniac mo- Maniacs movies. Um, I really like that. Are, are there two of them? What? Yes. Yeah, there's so I, 2001 Maniacs and 2001 Maniacs Field of Screams, okay, so which actually was filmed in Iowa. I have not seen Field of Screams, but I, oh, I really I enjoyed bad. the first one. The, the one with Robert Englund as the mayor. The, I turned off Field of Screams. Oh, Field of Screams Good. has the worst fucking sound in the universe. The ADR, it, oh my god. Well, it lost me when like, and again, I love, I love crazy plots and outrageous storylines and and shit that don't make sense for sure, but like really? when the, when a whole town of ghosts get on the bus to go find more victims, like okay, oh, that sounds you're not even following your own rules yeah, here. That, so. that sounds stupid right off the bat. So I think I'll avoid well, that one and just watch my uh, copy of 2001 Maniacs again. As much as I love Bill Mosley and um, oh, I'm trying to think of the woman's name right now, Lynchay. <laughs> yeah, holy shit, that was a bad movie. <laughs> yeah, I think I I bought the movie for like super cheap, and I'm pretty sure I threw it out. <laughs> like I'm like, Damn. no, I'm not even gonna, you know, take this to half price books or anything. I'm like, no, this should just be in the trash. Just taking another copy out of circulation. Yes. Oh, it is that fucking bad. Here's something. Man. A fun tangent on that. Again, back to the high school movie night days. There's a movie called The House That Vanished which has an alternate title that I forget right now. But um, it's an Italian flick. It's the, the, Basically, it's a feature-length blonde joke where this model is supposed to go do a shoot somewhere and uh, she witnesses a murder, but like they, she approached the house where she did the shoot from a weird direction, like she came in the back door not that's not a euphemism she actually uh, <laughs> and it was like it was like foggy and stuff so she couldn't remember where the murder happened and and there's all there's like this weird incest sex between this gross old lady and her nephew and at at the time we deemed this the worst movie we had ever seen in our lives and so for a good long stretch of years it was our mission to remove this movie from circulation so whenever a vhs copy would show up on ebay we'd buy it and burn it (laughs) (laughs) and you're the reason why we've never seen it probably worth like a hundred dollars now probably (laughs) dick (laughs) scream scream and die is that the uh, yes that's the alternate title yep yeah that's 
that's why I spent a hundred dollars last weekend. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, <laughs> this, if, if, this sounds horrible. If, if you bought that from Justin the last weekend, next time you talk to him, you should ask for your money back because that movie's fucking awful. Oh, I know where I'm going to shove that VHS. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, buddy. <laughs> but yeah, so back to the 2001 Maniac movies. Um, back to our topic, you stupid <laughs> asshole. Wait, what topic? <laughs> Uh, I forget. Uh, I really love the first one a lot too. I I really think the first one was awesome. Robert England was great. Lynchay was great. Um, yeah, the the gore and the tribute to to some of the deaths from the original movie are just oh, it's just it's a fun fun movie. So good, and it's so sad that it the second one fell off the rails that quickly. Well, and so. it sucks that uh, Bill Mosley is in the second one. It's like, come on, dude, you're better than this shit. Yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. But, like, was that Tim Sullivan? That's the director yeah. of those, right? After watching his segment of um, uh, Chillerama, I don't know how I feel about him. Because he's openly, he's openly gay, but he makes the most homophobic, hated films ever. I like, could not. F- those are extremely offensive to me, and I'm heterosexual. <laughs> Are That's you? debatable. <laughs> oh. I've seen the pictures of you no, and Jason. <laughs> They're Good almost outfit, as dirty as the pictures of me and John. My, almost. My <laughs> point is... Stop those. Even 2001 Maniacs kind of teeters a little too far for me at certain points with the the homophobic yeah. humor. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that aspect of it, but... Yeah. Yeah. So, but man, I, Curse of the Curse of the Werebear and Chillerama. I could not finish oh that God. movie. I hated every segment of it that I saw, and I was like halfway through it, like fuck this, it's not going to redeem itself. I like I'm the uh, Adam Green segment. The um, the one with Hitler uh, and Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's Diary of Anne Frankenstein. That's <laughs> I like that one too, and I like how. I like how they, it's so, the whole movie's pretty sophomoric, but that one I love, I love because like, what's his name, I can't remember the actor's name, playing Hitler. Doesn't know any German. Doesn't know any German, so he's just saying like, bratwurst and like. (laughs) Well, what's what's funny is, is my friend Christina plays Ava, and she is fluent in German, so she's the only one on the set that actually knows German, and everybody's just throwing these, you know these words around that sound German and it's just fucking hilarious. Yeah. It's, it's really funny. And I liked Wadzilla. I thought that was, that was yeah. really funny. I must it's, have I like shuddered off now. before the Anne Frankenstein one. Cause that sounds like my style of humor. <laughs> it's not the movie. It's as a whole is really not that good, but it has its moments. I mean, it's worth a watch, like finishing every segment, but yeah, it's, yeah, You're, it's not like going to be a new friend. favorite movie by any means. It took me a couple viewings to to start to enjoy the wraparound. I just I get kind of weird about like, um, about I don't know, just the how it's how it's all like sex crazed zombies and it's the things spread by sex and whatever. And sometimes I get kind of weird about about that you know i don't know i can't i can't explain it, it doesn't matter um but uh after watching it a couple times I, th- I found it funnier and accepted it better 
And 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 then maybe I just had a different expectation watching it the first time and why I was kind of off put by the wraparound. Um, isn't there a fourth story in that? There's Diary of Aunt Frankenstein, Wadzilla, Curse of the Werebear. I thought there was another one besides the wraparound. People are screaming at their stereos. Right Back now. to H.G. Lewis. <laughs> anyway, yeah, sorry. So I think that covers everything Herschel Gordon Lewis. Oh, and then there's the couple years back, that uh, kick-ass documentary that Frank Henenlotter co-directed that's put out by something weird video called Godfather of Gore. I highly recommend it. It definitely digs far deeper into Herschel Gordon Lewis's uh, film career than probably anything else. Um, those of us who have listened to every single Herschel Gordon Lewis comment commentary may find it a little bit repetitive because a lot of that same stuff gets covered. Um, but it goes into a little more in depth there. Well, so. Those commentaries are incredibly thorough. Like he's okay. one of those directors who's so much fun to listen to. He's so articulate. He remembers mm -hmm. everything he did fucking forty years ago. <laughs> yeah, isn't that and, crazy? And just, I mean, yeah, he is. Just, I, yeah, he even without Mike there to guide him, I think he'd be one of those directors who a lot of times I don't like solo commentaries because they get so bogged down in technical stuff, and I find that really boring. But there are a few directors um, that I, that can carry a commentary on their own. John Carpenter is one. Roger Corman, yeah. even though his voice is more relaxing than Bob Ross, I love listening to him talk about his movies, because he's just <laughs> unbelievably intelligent. And oh, yeah. uh, Guillermo del Toro, even though he does get into a lot of technical stuff, he's super fun to listen to. And I think H.G. Lewis is in that pantheon, too, that even though the commentaries that he's on are usually with other people. I think he could easily yeah. do them by himself. Absolutely. Well, and then you never have to worry about, um, Hershey Gordon Lewis getting too much in the technical side of things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I kid cause I love, but, uh, yeah. Anyway. So I think, I think that covers everything. Am I missing anything? Well, that wraps up his you? film career, but there are a couple of other little things that I'd like to add. Um, Please. There are... I'm, <laughs> <laughs> Just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> I'm sure there are... Uh, so I, I think he's written uh, some books on his career, at least one. Maybe he has a biography out there. I know uh, Dave Friedman has one called The Youth in Babylon that I haven't been able to track down for a decent price yet. But there's uh, there was a label called Creation Cinema a good 10, 15 years ago. I don't know if you guys have any of their books. They used to show up, if you'd go to the art section and a half-price books, they'd always be in the film section. They have, oh, yeah. they have a, some of them are great, some of them suck. Because I think basically the, their model was they'd take pitches from people. So like there's one called The Satanic Screen that's about devil movies, and it's written by a quote-unquote Satanist who is the most pompous jackass in the world. Um, but uh, there's a great one called um, Meat is Murder, and there's another one called Killing for Culture about cannibal movies and snuff movies, and those are great. And there's an H.G. Lewis one in their line called A Taste of Blood, the films of Herschel Gordon Lewis. And nice. I would highlight it's got tons of awesome photos in it, uh, reproductions of advertisements. 
interviews with tons of people, who, with him, Friedman, a bunch of other people who worked with him, reviews of all the movies, uh, critical essays, very, very cool stuff. And I've often said I was born in the wrong decade. Uh, mo <laughs> most of the stuff I love comes from the 50s through the 70s. Uh, and one of the biggest things that I feel like I missed out on other than the drive-in as a legitimate way to see these crazy-ass movies yeah, is H.G. Lewis in, I believe it was in Chicago ran a Grand Guignol theater called The Bloodshed. <gasps> That's right, I forgot about that. And he would take classic horror movies most of the time, Dracula, Frankenstein, a lot of universal stuff. Sometimes they'd show his movies and they'd show part of the movie and then for in between the real changes, they would have performers getting killed, air quotes, killed on stage. So they'd have mm -hmm. live versions of his gore effects being played out by actors, which, and, you know, the Grand Guignol was a big thing in Paris in the, was it the 1800s, I think? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And he, he revived that in, in this theater. So you could go and watch a horror movie plus a live gore effects performance on stage and that just is something that when I think about it makes me so sad that I missed it I, I was just absolutely I was born in the wrong decade that's all there is to it I agree with you I've always felt that way too especially for me on being a filmmaker myself I feel like I was born in the wrong decade because I just have this this love affair idea of what basically what those guys used to do like Herschel Gordon Lewis, Dave Freeman and the, you know those guys where they would take their movie, they'd load it up in the car with all the promotional material and basically travel around like a goddamn band going from town to town <laughs> yeah playing their movie at, at theaters and Lewis had a couple of uh, incandescent 35 millimeter film projectors he got off a uh, navy ship that they would use to play to you know to as entertainment for the for the enlisteds and the officers and that's what they used to do their road shows with and here sitting here talking and describing that mentality of of showmanship and to think that this man has has now been like and his films have been so like revived and and loved all these decades later when really all he was doing was just going from town to town, putting on a show, extremely independently, that is inconceivable in this day and age. And now there's it was e yeah. inconceivable even twenty years ago. Once the uh, once all the mom pa video or uh, mom pa movie theaters went belly up for the chains yeah. taken over. And the the industry has changed so much that now independence. It's it's in some ways it's easier for people to make a movie, and harder for yeah. them to get noticed because now you've got all this yep. digital technology. Anyone can go in their backyard, in their garage, in in a friend's warehouse, whatever, and shoot a movie. But to be able, you you can't get it. There's no way you'd ever get it in a theater, and there are no such things as drive-ins anymore. So all yep. you can do is put it out digitally, you know, either on a Blu-ray disc or just download copies, and put it out there on the internet and hope that somebody notices it over the din of stuff that's going on. Yeah, the, the things have changed so much that you used to be able to 
truly break into the industry and make some money and be a known filmmaker as an independent back when he was working. And now there are so many of those that it's, you know, you just get lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Tell me about it. (laughs) Oh, man. Any other things about Hersha Gordon Lewis? Cool. All right. I think we did a pretty good job there talking about old Herschel. So let's take a quick break, and when we come back, it's segments time here on Attack of the Killer Podcast. Good evening. It's intermission time. Our service is friendly and quick. You'll find hot dogs, hamburgers, pizza, your favorite candies, hot and cold beverages, and other delicious snacks. So add to your fun of watching the movie. Visit our refreshment stand right now. We're glad to have you with us tonight. We hope you'll come to see us often. It's great to get out to the movies. And we're back here at Attack Your Killer Podcast, and it's segments time. And we're going to start off, as we always do, I think, with some shout-outs. It's time for... Shout-outs! Hey, of course we're going to do shout-out Silly Goose. I forgot to ask if you had any. Of course, I not very many, because I work so hard at like trying to remember when I go to sleep, and then I don't remember in the morning to post, <laughs> and then it's too late. So but, it's usually during the show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, just post what your favorite Hirsch movies were, Godfather of Gore, and on Facebook... Of course, Gerald Martin. We know he's a big fan of the old stuff. He chimes in and says, The original Wizard of Gore from 1970. It's over the top as any of his. It's always It, it always threatens to devolve into campy exploitation, but lead Ray Sager gets behind his role and absolutely sells it. Salvador Dali has nothing on Ray Sager in that movie. <laughs> And that's it on Facebook. Let's go over to Twitter. <laughs> wow. I know. We got two on Twitter. That's so that's never oh, nice. been done before. That's weird that Twitter had... This is the first time I think ever that Twitter had more than Facebook. Yeah, it might be. So we have Horror Dork at Horror Dork. <laughs> he says, color me blood red all the way. <laughs> is it a period after No, period? but there shit. should be. But there yep. should be. Thanks, Horror Dork. And then Slaughter Film at Slaughter Film 1 says, Suburban Roulette is the sleaziest movie I've ever seen with men auctioning off their wives, among other odd things. I've never seen it, so that's intriguing now. Sleaziest movie Slaughter Slaughter Film has ever seen. So, Auntie has been upped. It's it's going to... Be put in the, the want list. Yep. And uh, thank you, Twitter. So, and you can always call in if you didn't get messaged in time. I mean, call in at 415-952-6857 or 415-95-AOTKP. That's shout-outs. Thanks, Jason, for shout-outs. You're welcome, Mike. Now, brace yourselves, everybody. 
Because it's time for the altar with Stalter. You know what time it is. It's time for Altar. Hi everyone, this is another segment of Ultra of Stalter, and uh, this isn't going to go very well. <laughs> uh, I gotta mute this, <laughs> scared, scared. Now, uh, Mike's already heard a little bit about this, uh, I am going to review, I don't know if I want to say a controversial movie, uh, I don't know how I want to say it. I'm going to talk about Rob Zombie's new movie, 31. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and I honestly... I don't want to say this. If, mm, no, make- I, I need to be nice. I need to remember that I'm... You're going to make Justin cry. There are mm-hmm. listeners. There are people that possibly maybe respect me. And I respect them. But if you like this movie, just put your head in the toilet and flush right now. <laughs> There is, shit. There is. I don't care if I alienate people. I don't care if people I know who are my best friends stop talking to me. This movie is a big fucking pile of shit. Like, okay, so I went in pretty hopeful because I do enjoy his movies. Even I, I, I will admit that I have been wrong about some of his movies in the past, like Halloween two. Shut up, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> that, movie, that movie still sucks. Nope, um, it's awesome. <laughs> nope, it's awesome. Uh, I admit that I didn't really care for House of a Thousand Corpses the first time I saw it. Watched it a second time, and I fucking loved it. You know, it was many years later, but I enjoyed it. Everything that I actually enjoy about his films is non-existent in this film. Like, we all know his dialogue sucks. We're never going to expect this man to write a fucking great, fantastic, you know, monologue or anything. Like, the dude's horrible. He can't write for teenage girls. He can't write for an adult. He just can't write a fucking script worth of shit. He can come up with a great concept, but that he fails every time. But what I've always loved about his movies is his use of music and just the visual aspect, the cinematography and shit like that, once again, does not exist in this fucking film. It's... Oh, I could just bash this movie forever. So, let's see. Here, here's another reason why this movie sucks. He has a little person dressed up as Hitler with a Mexican accent. And that's a reason that you think people would not want to see the movie? It's so fucking it's excited. it's so fucking childish. It's it's like he took his fucking junior high notebook and was like, "Oh, look swastikas. I used to write those all the time on here. Oh, I'm going to put this in a movie." That dude needs to be wrangled in. He should not be allowed to just have free reign on a movie. So what you're saying is it's not as awesome as Nick Cage playing Fu Manchu in the Werewolf Woman of the SS trailer. <laughs> exactly. No, they they I mean there is nothing good about this film. None of the characters are likable. I mean, the dialogue is literally the worst dialogue he's ever written. Or, it's actually the worst dialogue I've heard this year. Like, there are some lines that are so cringeworthy. 
I mean, I have a foul mouth. I am a disgusting human being. But Jesus Christ, the shit that he has his characters say, nobody in their right mind would ever say. I mean, yeah, who talks like that shit, you know? Like, the best character in the whole the whole film disappears for over half of it. And then we're stuck with Sherry Moon for most of it. We all know how she can't fucking act her way out of a fucking paper bag. <laughs> who keeps laughing? Nobody talks like that, John. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, seriously. Uh, it's... My written review is going to be a little bit more coherent. I try to wrangle it in and make it, you know, more legit. But this this movie's a big pile of shit. It's not gory. The fucking scenes that have violence in them, the shaky cam is so horrible. The person involved need is either, you know, on coke, uh, Michael J. Fox, or he needs Valium. I don't know. It's it's fucking shaky all over the place. Like it obscures the violence to the point where you can't even ascertain what the fuck is going on you know what i mean like it's like oh somebody's getting murdered but the cameras you know jerked back and forth forty thousand times that i don't know what's what's happening like they're trying to obscure the low budget effects hmm. so did you rent it when it was for rent that yeah. weekend whatever? i didn't i didn't go see it in the theater thank fucking god but you still pay 10 bucks to rent it yeah i want my money back Here's here's the thing, John, that I've listened to quite a few podcasts that have been discussing this movie now, and every single one of them are saying the exact same things you are. Yeah. So it's kind of it's kind of scary that like it's so universally, but it's it's one thing for everybody to universally bash on something, but when they're all hitting on the exact same points. And those points are the exact same is things there, I don't like about Rob Zombie movies. Is there any chance that he's just like nope. sitting back giving the bird to you? No. This is just if this he, is just if he is if he is he's a major asshole because he use, he's using he's using his fans' money to flip them the bird because this was crowdfunded. And if that's the case, then fuck him, and I won't, I won't ever it's do anything. Really, with, it's just yeah. really poorly made. I mean, it's. He just wanted some violent scenes, some shocking imagery, and none of it works. I'm like, I kept hearing how brutal this movie was or how brutal it was going to be. I mean, I flat out heard from one of the main actors, oh, it's so brutal. Oh, my God, it's the most brutal film he's done. And I was flabbergasted. Like, I've seen shit from 20 years ago that was more brutal. Like, I don't... I don't know. It's just if tough. That's... We're at a disadvantage because none of us have seen it. Yeah. yeah. Well, and... true. But I just, it's like people want Rob Zombie's film to be, films to be these, you know, masterpieces. Because there's a lot of people I know that just worship the ground he walks on. It's like, just fucking admit that he's not that good of a director. I, I mean, I do like his films, but they're not amazing other than Devil's Rejects. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, I mean... I I, love Devil's Rejects. He totally hit the right fucking notes on that film. That's a fantastic movie. And the dialogue actually isn't that god-awful. Oh, yeah, there's still some grown moments. But it's... As far as his other films, it's the best uh, written as far as dialogue. It's, It's just a fantastic movie. 
and he's never going to be able to top that as long as he just he all he wants is this gritty nasty bullshit and it's not entertaining i hated house with housing corpses I, I still it's, really dig that movie too. I mean, it's just it's basically like Texas it. Chainsaw Massacre fanfic, but uh-huh. it's yeah. I already have seen the movie. I, so. I, I like his I like his <laughs> but visual. not wild tripping acid. So <laughs> I like his visual aesthetic a lot. Um, yeah. Now yeah, John's sure. talking about shaky cam. That bugs me because not only do I get motion sick anyway, but I just think shaky cam is stupid. But like um, I yeah, why would you do shaky get, uh, cam in a, you know where you can't see what's going on in a visual medium like film? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if you th- think the shaky cam is horrible, there is a scene with uh, strobe lights that is so god awful. I had to walk out of the room. <laughs> I mean, I I don't get motion sickness or anything like that, and it was so horribly done. I almost threw up. Mm. That said, I'm still gonna go see this in the theater when it comes out in wide release at the end of the month. I can't wait for you to throw up. <laughs> it's. I know he's still making me want to see it. I, mean, I don't no, know. That, I, I want people to see this movie. I want. I want to know if I'm just completely wrong. If it's just the first time blues, and that, like you said, oh yeah, you no, know, I I I have, but there, I have hated his movies right off the bat. But more often than not, I I do enjoy them. Right off the bat, I like Devil's Rejects. Right off the bat, I liked. Uh, the Halloween remake, and right off the bat, H2 still fucking sucks. Nope, it's awesome. <laughs> Shut up, Brian. I'm totally with you, though. His dialogue is just so cringeworthy for me. You know, like, who talks like that? Like, in the first Halloween, where the stepfather's talking about skull-fucking his wife, right there at the breakfast table, I'm like, come on. And then, like, I'm not, I'm no prude or anything, but he uses the F word too fucking much. Shut the fuck <laughs> up. Because <laughs> here's the thing. Again, I'm not a prude or anything, but I don't care what word it is. If you consistently say it over and over and over again, it becomes the most annoying word you've ever heard in your life. Well, don't so, my reviews. <laughs> <laughs> so if... If you were to replace the word fuck with cornflakes and just say cornflakes all the time, cornflakes, 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 how annoyed would you be wor- how annoyed would you be by hearing the words cornflakes? I'm totally using that from now on. My next review is just going to be cornflakes right this, now. cornflakes that. <laughs> so, that's that's you my just, issue with overuse of the, of the foul language. Well, so. what are, you and I were talking about about the film. I mean, obviously I hadn't seen it yet, but you, we were talking about how his stuff is forced. When he wants to be yeah. shocking, it's forced. Because, I mean, seriously, who puts a little person with a Hispanic accent dressed as Hitler with a swastika pr- you know, spray painted on his chest? Like, that's just... I thought you guys loved exploitation films. This, no, this is different. <laughs> oh, oh, it's different. <laughs> oh, it's different now, is it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh! <laughs> In the seventies, it you know it somewhat oh, made sense. But so having a, come on a midget, maybe he's the modern it, exploitation. Here's my question: is, but it's is, not anywhere is close it a, to being like that. Is it a sinful dwarf? <laughs> <laughs> that movie's fucked up. Oh yes, <laughs> I, I have double dipped on that movie. I used to have just the straight up X-rated DVD, and now I have the Blu-ray that has both versions. So I I saw that for the first time last year, and that movie <laughs> is. 
Literally cornflaked up. Cornflaked up. Now, for me, there's a huge difference between Nazi exploitation and then just having a character dressed up as Tiny Hitler. <laughs> You're talking about Zombie having complete control. He also had complete control on Lords of Salem, and that was like a slow burner. That's yeah, awesome. it, yeah, That's I, I really, I really like that movie. It has kind of a I love yeah. European vibe to it, like a yes, uh, yeah. He didn't get any of that with the, this shit fest. <laughs> One of the things I'm kind of disappointed about by 31, even though I've not seen it and I don't really even know what it's about yet, um, was that there there are so many projects he said he was going to do before this one got announced is, okay, this is what I'm actually doing. So he's like Kevin Smith. Yeah, basically, Uh or Guillermo del Toro. Um, But he rules. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, One of the things he was going to do was something called T-Rex. Yeah. Which was supposed to be about like a washed up luchador who is, I believe, going to be Danny Trejo. And it sounded like it was basically going to be a filmed version of the comic book he did with Steve Niles. And I forget the name of the artist, but he did some stuff for the uh, Vietnam Zombie Comics 68. Mm. Um, and it was, the mm. comic was called The Nail. And it was about an ex pro wrestler who's you know on a vacation and gets attacked by some crazy cultists and that kind of sounds like it was going to be the basis for what t-rex is about i would rather have seen that movie honestly (laughs) well i also heard at one time he was attached to do the remake of the blob but wasn't going to show the blob in the movie um and then one i was not excited about (laughs) yeah and then uh, the latest i've heard i don't know how this is going to work at all with the type of movies he obviously makes and that and that is he he wants to do a Charlie Chaplin biopic. That's based choice. on the based yeah. on the uh, final days of Charlie Chaplin's life. And I'm like, I don't think Charlie Chaplin ever said skull fucking uh, or uh, shove your fingers, fingers up your wet twat. You know. Yeah. But I don't know. I I wasn't friends with Charlie Chaplin, so you know, maybe, maybe he did. Maybe he did. Several times. Rob Zombie will tell us that, tell us so. But bottom line. But Charlie Chaplin never had dreadlocks, so I <laughs> guess I don't know. Charlie Chaplin never looked like a fucking dirty hobo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's wearing, he looked like a little hobo. Aw. Aw. Well played. Well played. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I could go into greater detail about how much, how much I hate 31, but, I mean, this is one of those movies, my opinion's not going to fucking matter. You watch it, you like it, cool. Maybe you watch it, you'll agree with me. I mean, he, his movies are always so incredibly polarizing, you can't, yeah. you can't change somebody's mind. I, I, I'm friends with a lot but of now people. Now I feel challenged to watch it and try to change yours. Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I've I've seen a lot of people on like Instagram and Facebook. They're like, "Well, I love it. I you know I I thought it was super violent." And I was like, "Did we watch the same fucking thing?" <laughs> like that's something it, that always amuses me when somebody's like, "Oh my god, this is the most violent thing." It was like, "Really? Yeah. Have you watched any movie from the seventies? Any like literally pick a movie from the seventies? Have you Doesn't watched any movie order. that I've ever watched? Because I just don't. <laughs> I I there was just nothing." Good. Oh, it, I don't even remember the full scene, but there's a scene between two girls and Meg Foster 
that just Ooh. Also, no, not that kind. Have <laughs> uh, you seen Meg Foster lately? That you don't. Want no, that. I haven't. I haven't seen her since Leviathan. So I've seen her in person numerous times. A couple weeks ago. No yeah. thanks. Uh, um, didn't Meg Foster pay, play the the wrinkly titted witch in Lords of Salem? Yeah. So yeah. Brian, you clearly. So there you seen go. Her. Maybe that's your oh, thing. I don't. I yeah, that was her. I thought. Um, I don't remember her being. I know one of them was D. Wallace, and one of them was Magenta from Rocky Horror. Not 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 that cup. Not those three witches. No, I'm talking about the yeah, the naked, wrinkly. gross, wrinkly old titted witch, and that was in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Oh. So now I'm gross again. I'm just gonna throw up. <laughs> I haven't uh, seen that but, since it came out. I don't remember that. But okay. but yeah, she. Oh. There's a scene, fully clothed scene, Brian, <laughs> of two two young women and uh, Meg Foster. That really, oh, the dialogue is horrible. I don't even remember it. It went in one ear and out the other, and then I like drank a lot because it was so horrible. <laughs> like I had to forget it. Oh, that's why you drank a lot. Sean. Yeah, because I have to see you naked. Anyway, <laughs> it's it's just not a good movie. I mean, I I really could, I I wanted to like it. I was hoping that this would be not his masterpiece because let's be honest, that's gonna be Devil's Rejects that. That's as a perfect a film that he's going to get. I can't see him ever topping that movie. But I was really hoping that 31 would just be a great, violent, fun flick. And he squandered so many scenes, so many characters. He put his wife in the movie. It's just not good. He doesn't do that. <laughs> the only time... Well, she's all right in uh, Devil's Rejects, and she's actually pretty decent in uh, Lords of Salem. Yeah. At least, yeah, at least yeah. she's hot. Is she? At least you could see I her think... butt crack a lot. Actually, in uh, Devil's Rejects, it's not her butt. Stunt well, butt. Stunt butt. Oh. The stunt. How the tub it... scene? Where she stands up out of the tub, stunt butt. Oh, what about like when she's when at the beginning of the movie when she's crawling out of the? It's probably a plastic butt. The sewer drain. She's she's showing a lot of crack on that in that moment. Yeah, it's probably a stunt butt. And she shows a lot of crack in Lord of Salem too. So and when House of a Thousand Corpses came out on DVD, he and Sherry were at the Best Buy on Lindale, up in Minneapolis, and I went up there to get my copy signed. <laughs> and she's pretty hot in person, so. Really? So there. <laughs> of course, there's, that was like 12 years ago. So I was going to say, you can you keep her 12 years ago. <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure many people that listen to this podcast will uh, disagree with me, but... Uh, Tell us why. Leave comments for John. Why John doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> about 31. I am really you know, I, mean, I am really curious to to hear if people did enjoy the film. I mean I and why be constructive. Be constructive. Be more constructive than this guy was. <laughs> that, like I said, that's what the written review is for. That's when I'm going to be a little bit more uh, laid back and uh, nice about things, but I just didn't care tonight. I hated that film. And and what's the number they can call in to leave that feedback at, Jason? <laughs> 
That's 415-95-AOTKP. Yeah, and calling into that number is how I wound up on the show. And if you call in and berate John for hating 31 and Rob Zombie films, you might get my spot on the show because I apparently bored one of the co-hosts to sleep tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Calling Calling in, Brian, was not how you got on the show. (laughs) <laughs> we we know what you had to do. It was sexual favors. But yeah. <laughs> there there was nothing sexual about what I did to your ass. Nothing? <laughs> I well, I don't know. Pitchforks, sledgehammers, I don't know. What I don't know what I don't know. Alright, I'm done. <laughs> you got one more segment. <laughs> oh, his. Just for the hell of it, Lucky Pierre shows you how to make a doll while you sin, suffer, and repent the ecstasies of women in the year of the Yahoo tonight on Insane's Picks, brought to you by the scum of the earth himself, Insane Mike! Blood Feast. Dude, that was amazing. Start writing the actual intros to the show because that was awesome. Way better than you. Way better. I mean, I love you, Mike. Moving on. Thanks. Um, so in Saints pick for this episode, I spent a lot of time care thinking about this pick. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm gonna go with 1989's movie Sex Bomb. Sex Bomb. No, it's not. Almost sex. Now, it's not necessarily a horror film, but it, it's about a guy who gets a job as a writer writing for a kind of a Roger Corman-esque type producer who makes all these low-budget horror movies. So there's a lot of like fourth-wall-breaking um, scenes of on the set of the horror movie and these like lengthy parodies of horror movie scenes. Um, this movie, I remember reading about it for the first time in Gorezone magazine and was all excited about it and then never heard anything about it again. And one of the things that they were really trying to push with this movie was the fact that this was uh, this movie has Linnea Quigley in it, so there you go. That's all you need. Um, but they were advertising this woman by the name of Adela Shepard, and I think she had some kind of like some kind of, like, uh, stage name at the time, and I can't remember what it was. And they were, like, advertising her as the next big screen... Look out, Linnea Quigley, here comes the next big screen queen. And this is, I think, like, the only movie she's ever really done. So, um... Well, I guess she's done some others. Looking at IMDb here, but... Was never a screen queen, that's for sure. So, anyway... Um... Sex Bomb, so like I said, it's about it's this low-budget film producer who is uh, shooting his next two big epic films, I Rip Your Flesh with Pliers and <laughs> Werewolves in Heat. And what he doesn't know is that his sexy young wife wants him dead and plans to use the films to cover it up. So, and and so it's kind of, it's kind of a, um, I mean, it's definitely a comedy. It's all comedy. Um, and she tries to seduce this, seduce the guy who's the lead character of the movie, who is this guy, I think he's, if I remember, he started off as like the accountant or whatever and got promoted up to screenwriter. And, um, uh, and so she seduces him to try to help her kill off her husband. 
the movie also the movie has um, Robert Corey in it, who plays uh, the very asshole producer that the wife is trying to kill off. Um, like I said, it's got Linnea Quigley in it, and I was always intrigued to try to see this movie because the one of the publicity stills from this movie was Linnea Quigley in some short short panties. Um, with no top on, with band-aid, with band-aids and crosses uh, or X's covering her nipples. So I'm like, and carrying an Uzi. So I'm like, all right, I'm sold. Um, so Linnea Quigley's not in it a bunch because she basically plays the lead screen queen actress in all of the all of this guys' horror movies. So the only time you really see her is those scenes that take place on the set of the fake movies within the movie. Um, but it, it's, 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 but it's pretty funny, uh, it's a fun movie, it's pretty low budget, it really reminds me of the feel and the look of, like, early, of the Dave Dakota movies from that era, or the Rick Sloan movies of that era, so it really kind of has, like, a Vice Academy or a Sorority Babies of the Slimeball Bolorama aesthetic to it, um, so it's really hard to find, um, a few years back, uh, Scream, Scream, or not Scream Factory, uh, Shriek Show. Well, actually, it wasn't Shriek Show. Media Blasters is the parent company. Sorry, Media Blasters started a another sub label. Um, oh, what was it called? Like, oh shoot, it was like Sleazy Pictures or something like that. Where it was like it was supposed to be the exploitation line. They only I think released like six or seven titles under that under that label, and Sex Bomb was one of them, and. I wish I still had the DVD. Um, I don't. I don't remember how or why I got rid of it, but I remember I ordered. I had to order the movie, and it didn't play right. So I returned it, ordered it again, and that copy didn't play right. And I think the copy I even end up with ended up with still didn't play proper. But I managed to at least be able to see the whole movie for once. So I don't know if maybe that's why it's hard to find. Maybe the whole pressing of that particular movie um, was shit. Uh, who knows? But if you could track this movie down, good luck. Um, but you'll have a good time with it anyway. So 1989's Sex Bomb. Nice. Thanks. So that's it. That's it, folks. That's all she wrote. Whew. We miss you, Hirsch. We definitely will miss you, Herschel Gordon-Lewis. And I'm just sad that I never got to meet the man in person. I heard he was really, really nice. Like, the sweetest yeah. guy you could ever meet. That's all I've ever heard, too. And when you see interviews, you just get that you get that feel. Uh, I remember one time I was talking to Linnea Quigley, and Herschel Gordon-Lewis uh, lived in her neighborhood. So like oh, I was, yeah. I was thought like, man, we should take a road trip and go visit Linnea Quigley, because she had some cool neighbors, man. Herschel Gordon Lewis, her literal next door neighbor is Camille Keaton, and oh, wow. so, I'm like, yeah. So I'm like, oh, that's the place to hang out, man. Oh, shit, man, the stories they could tell. Holy shit. Oh, uh, Linnea's told me a few, and yeah, I'm not going to share those on the air here. So anyway. <laughs> Uh, but I bet Halloween time in that neighborhood is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking uh, about yeah. the weirdest candy. <laughs> uh, Egyptian feast candy. Anyway. <laughs> nice. Mm, so, 
Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be talking to you again soon. Again, don't forget to uh, check out Patreon. we got some different incentives there if you want to be a donator. Cool bonus episodes. Including cool bonus episodes where you can find out what the hell John or Brian was talking about. <laughs> and all hate mail can be sent to. Oh. Yeah. So, anyway, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Oh, no. Could this be the end of? <laughs> Attack of the Killer. Podcast.